Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also... Not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> and edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicke and as always I'm here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins. G'day, Dave, you little cheeky bugger. You doing, oh. mate? You bloody all right? How's your father? Oh, that's great. How's your dad? I haven't spoken to him for a while, actually, to be honest. Um, spoke to mum the other day uh, and I said, how's dad? And she said he was asleep in his chair. So I think he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he's still it's there. Good. Matt, how's your dad? Uh, he's going pretty well. I haven't spoken to him super recently, but last time I did, he was going pretty well. Father's Day coming up, though. Of course. Sometime, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know when exactly, but it's coming up pretty soon because I'm seeing ads online. I've been seeing ads for ages and I was like, shit, it must be really soon and it's not till September. And I was like, I don't care. My birthday's <laughs> first. Dad has to come to me first. Imagine if your birthday was a national holiday, then your birthday ads would have started ages ago. Yeah, that would have been good. Hopefully one day. Actually, the day this comes out, it is my birthday. <gasps> <gasps> 
So today is a national holiday. Whatever you're doing, if you're at work, walk out that door. (laughs) If anyone gets fired for not turning up to work on Jess's birthday, their boss is a bum. Absolute bum. Yeah, and you can act, you should take them to court because that's fucked up. Hey, that is fucked up. Jess, as it is your special day, do you want to do the honors of explaining how this show works? You'll let me on yes. this my special day <laughs> once a year. <gasps> Yay! Okay, I'm gonna take an hour and a half to do this. So <laughs> each week, one of the three of us—Matt, Dave, or me, Jess, the special birthday girl—take um, it in turns to research a topic, usually suggested by our listeners, and we research and we read and we watch stuff and we write up a nice little report and we bring it back to the other two who you would think would respectfully sit back and listen and learn. But they don't. (laughs) They interrupt a lot and we have a lot of fun along the way. But really, at the end of the day, it's all about friendship, isn't Mm, it? mm, Preach. How's that? Was that all right? Yeah. Bit much? I haven't had much sleep. No, no, that was just the right amount on this special day. (laughs) (laughs) On this... So special day. So who's doing it this week, Jess? Uh, Dave is in charge this week and we usually get onto topic with a question. I have a question for Dave before he asks his question. <laughs> My question to Dave is, uh, are there any birthdays in this? Um, uh, is anyone born? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, born to be alive. Yes. Oh, All right, born Dave. Born to be Oh, that's cool. It's Please. about the band that sang that song. Yeah. Which does not come to mind. Hey, Dave, um, I've got a quick question for you. <laughs> okay. What's it like being a little 29-year-old? Oh, hey, little 29-year-old. Dave, when you get to your 30s like us, you'll understand <laughs> what it's really like to be a grown-up. But for now, you're just a widow baby boy. Obviously, Jess is in her 30s now. I'm in my 330s. Yes, but you look like you're in your 130s, if I can oh, be so thank bold. thank you so much. That's very kind. Um, Dave, of course, we have to wait an entire 48 hours for you to oh catch my, up with us. The longest 48 hours of my entire life. <laughs> you look so useful. Anyway, what's your question to get us on the topic this week, David? All right, my question for both of you is, what music festival was listed by Rolling Stone magazine as number 19 of the 50 moments that changed the history of rock Woodstock. and roll. It is indeed Woodstock. Matt has jumped in early there. Jess was waiting patiently, so I'm going to give her a point just to penalise you. Yes! <laughs> also, I well, was going to do, like, joke answers first, Matt, but, yeah, obviously it was Woodstock, but I was going to be like, Falls Festival, you know? <laughs> oh, cop that Falls Festival. Very good <laughs> festival. Great festival. I haven't been to it in a long time, but it was pretty fun the year I was there. Pennywise <laughs> played. Oh, that's fun. Yep, they were, <laughs> they were very good. Yep. So Woodstock, you're doing a report on Woodstock. I am doing a, a report on Woodstock 1969. Um, nice. So, nice. Summer of Love. Basically, I put up three very famous music festivals or music concerts up into uh, the Patreon voters and they overwhelmingly voted for Woodstock. Awesome. Uh, it's been suggested by a few people, this one. So thanks to Aaron Grinberg, Josh Benefield, Holly G, Albert, Antonia, Lindsay Conway and Charlie Heffernan. Oh, nice one. I've got to say, I mean, obviously I know what Woodstock is, but I think it's just one of those things that you hear about so much. I don't think I've done a lot of, like, reading or research about it to actually know any nitty-gritty details. I'm just like, yes, it was a big music festival in 1969 and that's it. So this is exciting. 
Yeah, it's funny, Jess. It's one of those things that I also felt like, you know, everyone knows about Woodstock, but mm. then, and even looking into it, uh, there's a lot of articles that talk about how important it is, but then they're only about three paragraphs long and they don't have too much detail. <laughs> they so, haven't even bothered researching. No, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really important. Anyway. It's big. We all know that. We all know it was huge, big cultural uh, movement. And, um, yeah, it's uh, very, uh, God, I wish I was there. Yeah, basically. Jimi like, Hendrix was there. They mentioned, Someone was nude. Yeah, they mentioned. Oh, what a time. Remember that <laughs> mud? <laughs> uh, that's fine. Basically that and then, and then they also go, oh, it was 45 years ago today. Anyway, like that's about it. Yeah. So, But I did find a, a bunch of great articles in the end, so they're all linked in the description of this episode if you want to read up more in three-paragraph uh, little bite-sized pieces. That you can <laughs> Love that, actually. Love that. Well, let me take you back to the 1960s, which was a turbulent time for America. JFK was shot in 1963, America's military involvement with the Vietnam War increased, and generational social tensions developed around humans' sexuality, women's rights, modes of authority, and experimentation with psychoactive drugs. Ooh. All As these... the resident druggie. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> it's a reputation my parents would not be happy with, even in joke form. What's your favourite psychoactive drug? Oh, I love them all. How can you choose? Sophie's <laughs> choice of drugs. Oh. <laughs> what a phrase. I don't know if I could name one. Is LSD? That was actually what Sophie's choice was about. She was going out on a bender and mm. she was only allowed to pick one of her two favourite drugs. <laughs> oh, man. We've all been there. It was a real <laughs> Sophie's choice. Wow, what an emotional film. Uh, the decade saw the rise in a largely youth-based counterculture that celebrated experimentation, modern incarnations of bohemianism, and the rise of the hippie and other alternative lifestyles. Mm. One of the most iconic events of the whole era occurred in the last month of the last summer of the swinging 60s. But despite its enduring name and rock and roll legacy, it was almost an unmitigated disaster Let's talk Woodstock, baby. Yes, I love unmitigated disasters. Almost. Almost, that's right. I bet there were some Woodstock babies as well. Oh, yeah. Almost definitely. definitely. Yeah. It was its own little baby boom. That's nice. (laughs) Isn't that nice? (laughs) And I'm not sure, because it was almost a disaster, if you could categorise this uh, with some of my disaster episodes that I've done over the years. Chernobyl. Mount St. Helens, Woodstock. (laughs) You know, the big three. Yeah. So the the festival itself was the brainchild and 60s hippies love child, if you will, of uh, four men in their 20s, Michael Lang, Artie Kornfeld, Joel Rosenman and John P. Roberts. That's a man in your 20s. You're perfectly placed to sort of get into their heads. Yeah, yeah I don't right. remember what it's like to be in my twenties anymore. <laughs> but um, thank God you're here doing the report, Dave. You can really, uh, I, really relate. I just snuck it in. Yeah, <laughs> the last um, summer of the last month of my twenty-nine. Of the of the four of those, I don't know anything about their personalities yet. But just based on names, I think I like Artie the most. Oh yeah, Artie. Not Conte. that you asked. Not that there has to be a favourite, but. That's the name that really stuck it's out. The real to me. Sophie's choice of favourite names. <laughs> do you take so Artie? Do you take John? Do you take Joel? Do you take the other one? John. You said John. Are there <laughs> two Johns? Just knows Michael. Sorry, Michael Lang. So Michael Lang was 25 and had experience promoting festivals in the Miami area, culminating in the successful 1968 Miami Pop Festival, where headliners included Chuck Berry and the Jimi Ooh. Hendrix Experience. 
Oh, wow. Wow. Imagine being at that festival, Jimi Hendrix and Chuck Berry. Holy shit. Know, that's crazy. And that guy's only 25, so he's got the experience putting on the stuff. Wow. Artie Kornfeld, Jess's favourite, was a young... My, my fave. Oh, you love him. He was a young songwriter who had written over 75 songs that charted on the Billboard charts and was the youngest what? vice president at Capitol Records ever. What? Wow. Also in his 20s. Any of his songs in particular that we would know? Uh, not to my knowledge, Right. Okay. He'd written 75, did you say? Yeah, 75 uh, hit songs and then he became wow. you know, part of Capitol Records. That's so this crazy. is Artie or is this his Lang? So that's uh, Artie. So Michael Lang's the Miami pup guy. Artie Cornfell's right. the Capitol Records guy who recalled in an interview the first time he met Michael Lang, who's the Miami festival organiser. He goes, I was standing on my desk smoking a little hash. It's okay I say that? I mean, they can just not write it. Is it a written interview no, or a it video? Was an t- Twenty-five years later, it's okay to say that. <laughs> 1994 interview. Uh, they became friends that year in 1969 and discussed building a recording studio in the woods somewhere. They wanted to have a studio with some vibe that artists could go to and really get into nature whilst making their records. Meanwhile, over in New York. Joel Rosenman and John P. Roberts, the other two people I introduced at the start, were entrepreneurs based in New York City. They were already building a recording studio. John Roberts was heir to the polydent slash polygrip denture adhesive fortune. Ah, <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. Born I, into money, into denture into, money. You know, big denture. He became he becomes the uh, the money man in in this uh, in the four men. Right. So Michael and Artie, the Guys in New York were put onto Joel and John. Sorry, Michael and Artie, the guys who... Can we call Michael and Artie, just to simplify, just call them Artie Lang? Just bring them into one person. What about Marty? Oh, yeah, that's good too. I like Marty. What about Marty Lang? (laughs) Love that. (laughs) That's ruined it all. So Marty, (laughs) they're the ones that want to build the studio in the woods. They're put onto Joel and John to ask them about their experience building the studio, basically to get some pointers. The two young music guys met the entrepreneurs and even gave them a proposal for the studio that they wanted to build in Woodstock in rural New York State. Ah. And to be honest, the entrepreneurs really weren't that interested in the idea. They, however, were only keen on one line in the entire proposal, one sentence that stood out to them that said, quote, there's even a chance we could get some of the local talent to perform. The local talent of the area at that time included Bob Dylan and Janis Joplin. So the entrepreneurs Joel and John were especially intrigued by this and felt like they could make a fortune from this gig. So they went back to Marty, Michael and Marty, and said, we're not really interested in the studio, but we do like the idea of putting on a concert, which Marty weren't that keen on. And the <laughs> <laughs> they, they were like, oh, that was just a throwaway line. No one really wants that. Yeah, we just want to make a studio. And they're like, ah, but we don't want you dumb studio. (laughs) So the two duos went back and forth until the New York guys proposed to put on the concert and then use the profits of the festival to build the recording studio that the other two wanted. Oh, yes. Now that's a compromise. It is. And that's how Woodstock Ventures Incorporated was formed. Awesome. Uh, this was January 1969, and they hoped to put on the concert in August of that year. So seven months to book, plan, promote, and stage the entire festival. Seven months? Seven months. <sighs> Takes longer to bloody grow a human. <laughs> You're damn right. 
don't know why I decided to throw that out there, but <laughs> seven months is not a lot of time, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You're putting that into context for uh, pregnant people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just if they were like, yeah, that seems reasonable. Oh, wait. <laughs> That's crazy short. It is crazy short. And the idea is for a festival to go for not one, not two, but three days. So they want it to be huge. Wow, yeah. So they had the idea, but to, to put on a large concert and sell as many tickets as possible to fund a studio. That's the idea. Roberts and Rosenman became the money men paying for the festival. So now they needed a venue and some acts. You know, the festival part of the festival. <laughs> yeah, okay. Which they initially had trouble doing. They had a, a real hell of a time booking acts early on, but that all changed when Credence Clearwater Revival, CCR, signed on to play for the sum of $10,000 which is equal to about 70,000 US today. I'm honestly a little bit over CCR at the moment. It is getting played a lot. Who's playing? My house. Oh, in at your the house. Moment. Ah, that's interesting cuz I I really I don't hear them all that much when they come on. I enjoy it. Yeah. But um I and I was saying that to my old man a while back, and he's like, oh, if you're around at the time when they were out, you would have been absolutely sick of them. They were played so much. So it's like you're living through the <laughs> 60s, Jess. Yeah, and it, but it's just, it's always the same couple of songs uh, while the dishes are being done. And, right. I, and I, you know, you hear them once, you go, I haven't heard this song in a while. Is no, it Fortunate nice. Son while he's cleaning no. the silver spoon? <laughs> <laughs> Is it their uh, seminal album, uh, Soundtrack to the Dishes? Yes, yeah, it is actually, oh, that yeah. Makes sense. That does yeah. Make sense. So it is, yeah, it, it does make sense in context, but still, every day. <laughs> God, can't handle it. Anyway, but that's. By is the pretty... way, uh, about seven month gestation period is uh, a chimpanzee or um, a hippopotamus. I was They're wondering what months. you were Googling because you did go quiet. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I was like, what's he up to? And it, well, I was were... looking up something very important. <laughs> Woodstock <laughs> took about as long to grow as a hippopotamus. <laughs> That's quite, I mean. But they're massive. Yeah, they're, they're only, yeah, they are big. Only seven months. And so was Woodstock. Crazy. That's not a coincidence. <laughs> not a coincidence. <laughs> so Credence were the first ones to sign on. Uh, the drummer Doug Clifford later commented, once Credence signed, everyone else jumped in line and all the other big acts came on. That's cool. I have Bad Mood Rising stuck in my head, but um, yeah, mm. great. <laughs> I'm happy that... Credence got everybody else over the line. That's, right. That's the, good. The first domino to fall. And from that point yeah, on, cool. other popular musicians uh, signed on to the roster, which we'll go through, was looking great. So no worries there, but the venue was a whole nother question. The first choice was the lush 700-acre piece of land in Socrates, New York, very green spot a few miles from Woodstock, which according to Britannica, quote, is where Bob Dylan and several other musicians were known to live and which had been an artist's residence since the turn of the century. So that whole area around Woodstock, a very already known as a very cool place. Yeah, great. That's what you want for a festival, you know. Who cares about logistics? Mm. I just want it to be cool. That's right. Mm. Which is why uh, they initially planned to host it on the sun. Oh yeah. Whoa. But that's fucking rad. CCR yeah. said no thanks, so they had to move it nah. to Woodstock. Well, that's what they planned to do. They wanted to go to this place in Socrates, but they, that fell through when the owner of the land decided he didn't want to rent the land to some long-haired hippies, so they had to keep looking. So they got, Typical. So they got in their cars and drove around looking for a place that basically said for rent or for sale. They <laughs> were looking for signs. They came across the 30-acre Mills Industrial Park in Walk Hill, New York, which had none of the rolling hills of the other place. It was an industrial lot 
It was pretty shitty land, but they were desperate, so they just signed on. Great. And it was 30 acres, and the one they were looking at originally was, was it 70? 700. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was already going like, gee, 70 to 30, that's a bit of a drop, eh? Like, 700. All right, well... <laughs> The uh, nature reserves can uh, can have to be dropped from 600 to zero acres on the festival plan, but that's okay. <laughs> the, we'll just get a petting zoo. Yeah. That'll do. Get a little goat. Let people pet it. They love it. Charge them 10 bucks. So they signed on to this new place, this industrial park, but the site uh, shifting caused bands to have cold feet and many started to doubt that the actual thing would go ahead at all. Oh. So there was a bit of panic amongst the artists. And then things went from bad to worse for the organisers when people from the town of Warkill which is where the industrial park is, caught wind of the festival and many were opposed. They saw the hippie festival as a potential major disruption to their quiet way of living. The Concerned Citizens Committee was formed and despite meeting with the organisers many times, they just couldn't seem to see eye to eye. The CCC. The CCC versus CCR. (laughs) Uh, Director of Operations of Woodstock, Mel Lawrence, remembers that many of the townspeople were concerned about the culture of long-haired hippies that, quote, smoked pot, took other drugs, were unruly, listened to really loud music, and you had to be careful about your young daughters, which became a real point against us. These hordes of hippies will be coming in and taking advantage of our daughters. And uh, Mm. I knew that was absolutely true. (laughs) 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 So the town officially backed out on July 15th and even protected themselves by passing laws, including a portable toilet ban and a law requiring a permit for any gathering over 5,000 people. So that basically killed the festival just one month before it was supposed to kick off on August 15th. Ah, shit. It's so funny. It feels so short-sighted when a town goes that way. My favourite festival, which I talk about a fair bit, Meredith Music Festival, the town is so far on board with it that they, they run stalls there and the town makes a lot of money off it and their community groups do and they really um, welcome everyone in with open arms. It's a really nice way of doing it. And so everyone who goes there fully respects the town and uh, it's just a yep, totally. way nicer setup. So you go the other way and you go combative straight away. Uh, it seems strange and it, it's sort of a chance for one weekend for your town to make a bit of money. Why not? Totally. Yeah. And also having a portable toilet ban could really backfire. What if they just put the festival on anyway? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> got tens of thousands yeah, of just, shovels. Yeah, just shit wherever you want, whatever. Okay. Shit in a bucket if you want. <laughs> oh, bucket, la di da. All right. Someone's, <laughs> someone's brought a bucket. That's if you've got the VIP <laughs> ticket. You can shit in a bucket. So... The three-day festival doesn't have a venue one month before it's supposed to kick off and the organisers were scrambling. It was all very stressful, but an unlikely saviour stepped forward. 49-year-old dairy farmer named Max Yasker agreed to let the festival rent part of his property in the White Lake area in Bethel, New York. Max Yasker. Yeah. Love that. Great Love Max Yasker. Yasker yeah. from Bethel. Bethel, New York. Max Yasker. Bethel, New York. All of that is very pleasing. <laughs> I did it for you, it baby. It is. Did it for you. Very pleasing. Uh, despite being this new site being 60 miles away from the town of Woodstock, the festival is still referred to as Woodstock. Mm-hmm. Because it, when it should be called Bethel. Bethel. <laughs> where, was good. where were you on August 15th, 1969? Were you in Bethel? Bethel. 
But then again, if it was called Bethel and then Dave was telling us it was supposed to be called Woodstock, we'd be like, that's so dumb. Yeah. talking about? That's so stupid. Woodstock. That's... Like the like the 8% bourbon? <laughs> yeah. No, that bourbon would be called Bethel. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> Bethel bourbon. It's got a ring to it. Actually, yeah. Okay, now I'm listening. All right. Do you guys want to form a company? <laughs> called Bethel Bourbon? Bethel you did, Bourbon. You did my grandpa's denture money, which he actually had. He was a denture specialist. Yeah, great. <laughs> so it was actually originally billed as... Um, a denture capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not wrong. Don't you regret that? That was great. That was fun. That's that was a bit stuff. of fun. So we all know it as Woodstock, but it was actually originally billed as Woodstock Music and Arts Fair Presents an Aquarian Exposition in White Lake, New York. Okay. I guess Woodstock was just catchy, so that's what everyone's called it. So the farmer, Max Yasko, was hero to the festival organisers, but opposition to the festival soon began in his area after it was announced that Bethel would be hosting the festival. Signs were erected around town saying, quote, local people speak out, stop Max's hippie music festival. <laughs> and no 150,000 hippies here and buy no milk because he was a milk guy. Okay, you just got to not have any milk. That'll show them. Yeah, you dickheads. Yeah, having dry cocoa pops, that'll yeah. show them. <laughs> yeah, he'll be really mad about that. That's crazy. It's so strange to me that, yeah, that's why oh, we don't want those bloody hippies here. Yeah, isn't it funny to think the hippies are like, Famously harmless yeah. peace lovers, right? Yeah, and they're like, they don't like them because they've got long hair and they wear clothes that are a bit different. I don't like it. It's just that real generational thing where, like, I think when I was reading about it, the difference between the, the, this young hippie generation and the, the generation before was probably more different than any other generation right. in modern history to that point. Mm. So there was because it was such a big counterculture. Like they are growing their hair and wearing weird clothes to be different to their parents, and their parents are like, "We did not like this. We did yeah. not like this." I think because we're sort of the children of that generation, right? Are we? Yeah, basically. I mean, and we're so yeah. it means to rebel against them, we have to be rule followers. <laughs> yeah, and we, I think we really are. Yeah, and they don't realize that they're like, "Oh, they're not. Why aren't they doing it like we did?" It's like we're rebelling against you, you dickheads. Yeah. We're Being getting real. jobs. <laughs> I haven't drunk milk in years. I work in a bank, okay? <laughs> I've got steady superannuation. <laughs> Jess, that's I not true. That is not I true. at all. I'm fucked in the future. <laughs> ah, well. No, yeah, well, you're part of that 60s hippie vibe ro rolling on. I'm just hoping that I have some kids who rebel against me and work really hard in school and are very, very intelligent people with great business savvy and they do very well and then they look after me. Yeah, that'll show you. Their rebellion is being real smart. Our I'm brains like, oh, are rebelling against our DNA. You pesky kids <laughs> with your intelligence and your, your drive for anything. Ah. Ah. Put mum in a good home. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so tickets for the three-day festival uh, cost $18 in advance and $24 at the gate, equivalent to about $130 and $170 US dollars today. Uh, Organisers hope to sell 50,000 of these tickets. 
Through record stores and mail order, they pre-sold over 100,000 tickets. Whoa. What were they hoping for? 50, and they've doubled it. But because everything was so last minute, they didn't have time to install gates, fences, or ticket booths at the ticket at the event site. Good. All important, I would say. The promoters later said that they had to focus on the infrastructure for the musicians and providing food for the people. Basically, they were told by their builders, you can choose either a fence or you can have a stage. And they chose to have the stage. Yeah, oh, interesting. I would have gone fence. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because then I could hang fairy lights on it. Oh, I love perfect. fairy lights. Yeah. I love them. And the bands could play just in front of the fence. Yeah, nice exactly. Fence Beautiful, gear. especially with fairy lights all over it. <laughs> Gorgeous. Dave, when you say 100,000 uh, pre-bought tickets, they paid, prepaid? Yeah, they've prepaid, yeah. Well, that's good. So they've got the money. Well, do they? Oh, they also didn't have bathrooms, concession stands, and a pavilion for the professional performers when the festival started. So it was a real mess at the start because basically they had like four weeks to do everything. But they had they had like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Of, well, they would have had millions of dollars to spend on all this stuff though because they had been paid for the tickets. That's right. But it ended up costing lots and lots and lots. Right. And they Especially didn't have last minute, Because yeah. they didn't have any time, yeah. yeah. And because food and entertainment were the number one priority, the ticketing was going to be impossible to police due to the lack of fencing and turnstiles. It was decided mm. at the last minute to throw open the non-existent gates and just make the festival free. What? Oh. That meant that lots more people than expected turned up, but it also meant the promoters lost a lot of money. Oh, why did they lose money? Yeah, well, way more people than... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Way more people turned up but didn't pay the money to, to attend. Don't advertise that it's going to be free. Just, like, just let people turn up with their ticket. This is before mobile phones. You know, if that happened now and your ticket wasn't getting checked, you'd call your friends and be like, dude, come to this festival. Oh, no. They're not checking. And more people would come. But back then, people would turn up with their tickets and they'd just come in and that would be fine. Yeah. Why would you then go, actually, free? So then all the people who have paid... A lot of money are going. What the fuck? Yeah, I'd be pissed. And then just more people coming. Well, I think Mm. a lot of the time the people that had rocked up probably were prepared to pay, but they had no way to pay because they didn't have ticket stands. So they just opened, and there was so many people waiting to get in that they just threw open the gate just because they couldn't do anything about it. Far out. Sounds like a real nightmare. Oh my god! I'm just feeling stressed. The organizers. Well, the festival was due to kick off on Friday, August fifteenth, nineteen sixty-nine. But two days earlier than that, 50,000 so-called early birds had already set up camp in front of the stage area. That was their entire estimated attendance rocked up two days early just to get a good spot. And they've set up camp in front of the stage. Yep. (laughs) That is so funny. And terrible. (laughs) That's not where you want to be sleeping. No. Oh, yeah. What if you want to go to bed? <laughs> well, you know what? I've that's had where the a big mosh day. pit is. I'm very tired. I'm gonna. I'm gonna turn in <laughs> into your tent. Oh man. When the festival properly kicked off two days later on August fifteenth, nineteen sixty nine, it's estimated that up to five hundred thousand people turned up. Half right. a million people. What? I know. They oh. they they hoped for fifty thousand. Yep. They got 500,000. Yeah. And remember, they didn't have fences and they hadn't really thought about the roads either, which in some directions meant uh, traffic jams for 20 miles. What's that in kilometres? Oh, you know, I don't fucking know miles and I refuse like to learn. 35? 36. 
Jesus. Yeah. And they they have so toilets wasn't even one of their first priorities. But even if it was, they're anticipating fifty to a hundred thousand people. They've got five hundred thousand people and what, two buckets? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! You know when you go to a f- and food, you don't. This is the main thing for me is food because I'm always hungry. They, I'm thinking about it right now. They had um, they had to helicopter in extra supplies. A local uh, Jewish women's group uh, made forty thousand sandwiches and just handed them out. They they brought in like raw food, like a like you know just entire lambs, and anyone who had a bucket uh, like a pot to cook it in was just given it and said go. A living lamb. Yeah. Who's got a knife? <laughs> Who's going to slaughter this lamb? That's 32Ks as well, isn't it, Dave? There's going to be maths nerds out there furious. Oh. Miles 1.6 Yeah, Ks. that's about right. I do not want mathematic Twitter on our back again. Yeah, oh, no. not again. Last time. I'm sorry that I asked, but I refuse to learn miles or pounds or Fahrenheit. I refuse. <laughs> Well, we know. I just go la 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 la. Told la, us la. in a recent episode, negative forty is the same in both, and that's the only yeah. time they intersect. Is that right, Dave? That's true, one hundred percent. Crazy. One of the few things I've learned on this podcast that's stuck in my brain. Yeah, I'll I'll forget that anyway. Um, so they don't have enough food. They're just bringing in sandwiches and just handing out sandwiches. Yeah, I mean, it would some be... people have brought a bit of food, but like, there's definitely not enough to go around. That is my worst nightmare. This does not sound like a fun festival. No. I like, because I, uh, I went to Splendour last year to do some comedy, and I liked being able to wander around and choose which of the many places I could get a coffee from. It's <laughs> like, hmm. Wow. Yeah. That, uh, honestly, get... a Woodstock hippie would spit in your face if they heard you say that. Yeah. Spit right and in I, your face. But I wouldn't be near them because I would not be at that festival. Okay. That's fair enough. Yeah, Sounds Meredith. Like a fucking they've nightmare. Got, so they've got the food stalls there are brilliant. You got the Roddy wraps. Oh yeah, I love that. A real staple of mine. Some of the be- the best corn fritters I've ever had in my life. It was avocado, oh, some feta, Meredith feta, of course. Oh wow. And corn fritters and a bloody Mary. I was like, this is the best day of my life. But Meredith have gone for the opposite of the Woodstock approach. They they could sell way more tickets, but they've capped it at I think twelve thousand. Is all they allow in, so everyone's good. And each year they add a bit more room at on the site at the farm. They open up a little bit more, so you, same amount of people with a little bit more room to move. That's nice. It's nice. Just a nice festival. But maybe we've learnt now. We've learnt from. But I mean, people who were at Woodstock don't. I was going to say they don't complain about it. I'm sure they do. It sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, you never hear about that. I guess by yeah. now enough times gone by, they'd just be like. How cool is it? I was at Woodstock. Yeah, it's just a thing to yeah, say, absolutely. right? And so that rose-coloured glasses, in, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, what an experience. But at the time, I would I would hate it. I want to know how a hastily built stage catered to half a million people. I wonder, and they wouldn't have had big screens or anything. You no would have screen. just been like, no I, can't, I can't see it. I can sort of hear <laughs> it. Could you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> well, You'd barely be able to hear it. Yeah, I'll anything. talk about the sound in a second. So there were traffic jams for 20 miles. Many just ditched their cars and just walked the rest of the way. And given the volume of traffic, it took an average of eight hours for commuters to drive the 98 miles from New York City to Bethel. So no, it was you. a long long journey for most to get there. Oh, I'd need snacks just on that drive. And the last 32 kilometres would have taken hours. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh. Horrific. And I love a road trip, but I'd turn back. 
Oh, God, no. Well, eventually radio and television descriptions of the traffic jams discouraged people from setting off to the festival, so even more people may have turned up otherwise. Wow. Far out. And it wasn't just traffic that was against them. They also had to deal with the weather, as it had recently rained a lot and was very muddy and the festival was completely outdoors. There was rain throughout the weekend, which caused flooding, and the mud only increased as time went by. Oh. Yeah, this, I remember seeing footage of people just, I mean, you see it at modern festivals as well, people just diving into the bogs, splashing yep. around in it. Ooh. No showers, no oh, yeah. hygiene set up at all. If you got a bucket, you're a VIP. <laughs> well, there was a lack of food and sanitation, as I said, and almost no security. Only 12 police officers were in attendance for the crowd of 500,000. <laughs> I imagine they'd, they'd be smarter to just, like, take off their uniforms and pretend to be another punter. Yeah, just jump in the mud. Yeah. Uh, despite this, despite fears that having so many free-spirited people in one place would result in absolute chaos, it was overall a very safe and positive vibe. There was no violence. It was just music. A lot of skinny dipping, which if you watch any footage, there is a lot of naked people. Some doobies and free love, baby. This <laughs> you like doobies? the doobie brothers? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, here's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was the make love, not war, counterculture, generation after all. And many put the safety of the festival down to this mantra, make love, not war. And there was, a, and they did. Oh, man. <laughs> Apparently, people were just having sex wherever they felt like it. Again, a nightmare. <laughs> In the mud. Oh god. I don't want to be walking to the the shit bucket <laughs> and just see people fucking. You're lining you up know? for your roddy wrap, and <laughs> the two Someone's people in front of you are boning. You're like, uh, excuse me, uh, you're up next, please. Yeah. Please, I'm very hungry. Please. Just I've got my keep cup and I want a latte. <laughs> That's my kind of festival, and even then I hated it because <laughs> I, I got cold overnight and I didn't feel well and I didn't like it. I didn't have a nice warm shower. Uh, to help with security, the promoters enlisted Hog Farm, a communal pig farm in New Mexico, to help out. Its leader, what? a man known as Wavy Gravy. What? That's, a, that's reference on The Simpsons. Oh, Mr. man, I've got, I've got the quote not... here. I've got okay, it right here. <laughs> Which I, never I never got, got it. I never got what that meant. So he's a famous hippie from that era called Wavy Gravy and he was in, uh, like a volunteer at Hog Farm, which is a communal pig farm that him and a bunch of other hippies lived at, and he threatened to douse people who got out of line with salts of water or hurl pies at them, cream pies. That helped keep people in line. That's funny, a bit of like a comedy cop. We should yeah. try that. Take, take cops' guns away and give them pies. Cream pies. And as Matt just said, so that's one of my favourite Simpsons moments as well, is when Mr Burns is having a flashback from events in his life and there's one where he's undercover on a boat with Greenpeace and he just starts drilling a hole in the boat and then he reveals himself, <laughs> it was I, you fools. The man you trusted wasn't wavy gravy at all. And all this time I've been smoking harmless tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that before I got the reference. Oh, so yeah, good. Yeah, same. And when I got the reference, was right now. <laughs> so good. Oh. I've been watching The Simpsons a bit lately and there are so many references to stuff we've talked about and just things that I did not get, even though I've seen these episodes ten times. Now I'm like, oh. Now I get it. <laughs> so there's all that to contend with. And, of course, there was music eventually. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the music. <laughs> because I was thinking about shit buckets. <laughs> 
Well, because of the crazy traffic jams, many of the acts ran hours late or had to be flown to the site by helicopters. What? Where the fuck did they get helicopters? Well, the Army Reserves actually brought the acts to and from the stage. Uh, Richie Havens is one of the singers recalled there wouldn't be wouldn't have been a Woodstock if it weren't for the army. There you go. Right. Where were they bringing them from? Offsite? Yeah, from hotels. Right. That's the way to do it. I was I had pictured that all the acts were just in there amongst the the crowd. But that yeah, I guess they're huge stars. Back then that would probably cause a ruckus. Well they're yeah. they're waiting backstage in like a pretty non existent area. Um and many of them because of the because of the delays, we're waiting hours and hours and hours, which I'll talk about. But you asked about the sound. Um, Bill Hanley was the concert sound engineer who said, it worked very well. I built special speaker columns on the hills and had 16 loudspeaker arrays in square platforms going up the hill. We set it up for 150 to 200,000 people. Of course, 500,000 people showed up. So it probably wasn't quite loud enough for everyone right up the back. Wow. And the lighting rig was even more ramshackle as they weren't able to get a proper roof on the stage in time and couldn't hang the lights that were intended, so they ended up just having a couple of spotlights. And that's it. Ah, a couple of dolphin torches. <laughs> <laughs> taped, <laughs> taped to a stick. <laughs> well, with the stage built, speakers in place, a couple of spotlights and a huge crowd waiting, the music finally kicked off on day one at 5.07pm, hours after schedule. 5.07, 5 o'clock it starts. Yep. Fucking hell. First up was singer-songwriter. And remember, some people have been there for two days by this point. Over yeah. two, over, like two and a half days. What are you doing? Oh, you're fucking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're fucking, you're skinny dipping. You're, e- you're eating whole lambs. <laughs> yeah, it does fill the day. You've you got know? stuff. you got stuff on. Really, the music is secondary. Normally like lambs got are gra- time. grazing, but this time around they're grazing on the lambs. <laughs> Picking, picking them, picking them as they go. I'll have a little bit of lamb cheek. Uh, first up was singer-songwriter Richie Havens performing some songs with a guitarist and a man on conga. This performance really put Richie on the map. This is him remembering it years later. It's quite a long quote, but I enjoyed it. He said, I was supposed to be fifth on stage and no one at the whole festival went on when they were supposed to. I came in on one of those glass bubble helicopters and saw Tim Harden under the stage sort of playing by himself. I knew he wasn't going to go on first. I didn't want to either, but I had the least number of instruments, so I thought, God, three hours late, they're going to throw beer cans at me. They're going to kill me. Fortunately, <laughs> the reaction was, thank God something's finally, someone's finally doing something. They were happy. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, surely you'd be welcomed as a hero. Yeah. Yeah, finally. And he went on to describe his set. I was supposed to sing for 40 minutes, which I did, and then I walked off the stage and people were great. And then the organiser said, Richie, four more songs? Okay, I went back on and they were still clapping. So I sang four other songs. Went off again. Then I hear Richie, four more songs. They did that to me six times. What? <laughs> Two hours and 45 minutes later, I'd sung every song I know. Oh, that's amazing. He played for nearly three well, hours. i got to say, this account is disputed because in his set list, it's only been recorded that he actually played for 55 minutes. But I, I don't know. <laughs> over the years, that's gone longer and longer. He did yeah. play a couple of Beatles covers, so I don't know. But it's such a great... If it's true, what a great story. Four more songs. Wow. Four more. Hey, Richie. Four more? <laughs> what do you reckon? All right. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm twisting my arm. 
Here we go. I gotta tell you. By the end, he's just playing songs that he played at the start because he knows they're all too stoned <laughs> yeah. to notice. You don't remember what happened three hours ago. Yeah. Wow. Well, after Richie kicked things off, the music barely stopped for four days. Because of the delays, the three-day festival ended up going to a fourth day. What? It consisted of 32 acts all up, and I'll talk you through a bunch of them. The first day had, and some of these, these bands were big in the 60s and I don't really know them. Maybe you guys do. They had Sweetwater, Burt Summer, Tim Harden, Ravi Shankar played through a rainstorm. That would have been pretty freaking cool to watch. Wow. Familiar with Ravi's work. Yeah, that's about it for me, two of those names. Uh, the singer known as Melanie. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard of Melanie. Uh, she took to the stage after another act cancelled and her impromptu, so she wasn't even meant to perform performance, got two encores from the crowd. Wow. <laughs> are they playing overnight or are they stopping for naps? Oh, well, let me talk you through the hours that some of these acts oh, are on. No. It's, I, you this would hate festival it. Festival is making me so anxious. Oh, it's awful. I hate this. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to think it would be awesome, but this is my fucking nightmare. <laughs> it does I sound, hate this. It doesn't. I mean, I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle, I think. <laughs> I would definitely oh. go if given the opportunity, but it does sound like there would be times where I wish I hadn't. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then Arlo Guthrie, Woody Guthrie's 19-year-old son played. So that's a pretty big deal at 19. Yeah. What was his song? Caroline's Basement or something? No. Oh, yeah. He Someone's had a, Cafe. And, yeah. And so that's like a 16-minute um, parody song type thing. Right. And um, apparently people were pissed off because he didn't play it. His number one hit. Like his big hit. He didn't play <laughs> it. <laughs> you don't play 16 minutes when they keep making you go on no. to do four more songs. Just play that song yeah, and you're good. Play it. Alice's Restaurant. That's it. Alice's Restaurant. Andy Matthews is a big fan of uh, the Guthrie's. Oh, no. We know he listens to this show. Sorry, Andy, if I Sorry, Andy. misrepresented that. But he definitely didn't play it and people were pissed. Uh, finally, the first act on night one, performing for over an hour and finishing at 2 a.m., so not too bad. This is the first night, 2 a.m., was the six-month pregnant Joan Baez, who recalled her set years later. She said, I went out on the stage and I'm not sure what I sang, but I remember this guy at the top of the hill in the back with no clothes on and flowers in his hair and a long beard. And he started to dance to the crowd towards the stage. So I just cut one of the songs so I could bow politely to him and leave before he made it onto the stage and got up there with me. <laughs> <laughs> she just called it a day to get away from this crazy. She watches him coming and just goes, fuck this. But, Thank you. Nah. Good night. It sounds Bye. Like, yeah, it sounds like a like a horror movie where every time she looks back, he's a little bit closer. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't look like he's moving very fast, but he just yeah. keeps coming. <laughs> and he's sort of floating. Yeah. yeah. I think she probably made a good call there. Yeah. Six months pregnant at that horror festival. And at 1am performing for an hour. Bloody good effort. Yuck. If no. she was a hippopotamus, she'd only be a month away from birth. <laughs> yeah. And so that's even crazier, isn't it? Yeah. It's the equivalent of being eight months pregnant at a music festival in hippo terms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I confused myself. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no, I think I'm on board. I think I get it now. I get yeah, it now. Hang on. <laughs> so that's day one. That's Friday. Saturday, August 16 comes around. The music started at 12.30 the next day when Quill took to the stage. And acts on the second day included Santana, whose debut album had only been released that same month. Ah. And um, So he wouldn't have been the huge star at that point? Ab- absolutely not. No, he wasn't. He hadn't done his song with Rob Thomas yet. <laughs> I looked through his set list. I couldn't believe he didn't play smooth. 
<laughs> he didn't play smooth. It's getting hat. What is it? Does it start? Surely they rioted. Yeah, they must have rioted. No, so, yeah, he wasn't well known at the time, but apparently his like uh, groovy music really went down well with the crowd. So he was a, a big hit. And to be honest, that really could have launched him um, into the 70s. Yeah, true. I was yeah. expecting to know more of the artist names. Like um, a lot of them sound like they were big at the time, but not that many remain iconic. I reckon you'll know day, day two, this is the biggest day. Or arguably, some people get annoyed at that. But anyway, I think, because you've got Santana, who said to the crowd, Carlos himself said, it was a bit scary to go out there and plug into this ocean of hair, teeth, eyes and arms. It was incredible. I that sounds like an aw- that what an awful ocean. An ocean <laughs> yeah. of teeth and hair and oh. arms. Ugh. Yuck. <laughs> he said, I'll never forget the way the music sounded bouncing up against a field of bodies. You never forget that sound. Ugh. Yeah, it doesn't sound good, Carlos. And then years later he told Rolling Stone magazine, for the band as a whole, it was great, but I was struggling to keep myself grounded because I had taken some strong psychedelics right before I went on stage. <laughs> when we first got there around 11 in the morning, they told us we'd be going on about 8 o'clock. So I said, hey, I think I'll take some psychedelics and by the time I'm coming down, I'll be ready to go on stage and I'll feel fine. But when yeah, that, good. That does seem smart. That's, yeah. That seems prudent. I think... I think the perfect time to be performing and, you know, ideally to be at your best is when you're coming Coming down down from psychedelics. (laughs) Well, he said, but when I was peaking around 2 o'clock, somebody said, if you don't go on right now, you're not going to go on. But my guitar's a snake. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I spent an hour. Come on, snake. (laughs) I spent an hour killing that guitar. Come on, Snake, it's our time to shine. I'm going to murder you on stage. Oh, no, the bass player's got a snake as well. (laughs) I've got to kill the bass player. (laughs) The the guy who comes up to him and says, hey, it's your turn to go on, Santana, he'd be like, I don't know why this pumpkin's talking to me, but we better do what it says. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, Their set was followed by the Incredible String Band. I don't know why it makes me laugh. I love I love early band names because it's like you had all of them to choose from back then. <laughs> yeah, Rock was brand anything. new. You could be you could pick anything. The incredible string band. <laughs> uh, th- then it was canned heat. Oh yeah, they're a big one. Uh, uh, <laughs> Bang and tune. I don't know how he sings like that. How do you make your voice like that? I had to get in a trance myself. I wonder if he did too. There's um, a Spotify playlist that I was listening to whilst writing this to try and get into the vibe where someone went through and they've put every song in order that was played over the wow. four days. Get fucked. So I put that on shuffle and I was ha- having to go through, but I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Maybe they, yeah, didn't, they might not have played it. <laughs> There's some good stuff. Uh, so there was Can't Heat. Then John Sebastian from The Love and Spoonful oh, was yeah. pulled out of the crowd to give an impromptu set because artists were running late. So they're like, get up here, John. They nice. play. Well, that's fun. Do you believe in magic? Magic. I know that from uh, the parody of American. I know that from Not Another Teen Movie, I think. Ah, I think they. <laughs> I think they sing that in the. You know, in I think it parodies a bit from American Pie where Oz Striker joins some sort of singing group. 
Uh, Mountain performed their fourth gig as a band in front of 500,000 people, so that's pretty crazy. What? But having said that, Jess, wasn't your, like, third gig at, in stand-up in front of, like, the biggest crowd ever? 1,200. That's fucking 500,000. <laughs> that was yeah, your still... third. And then, yeah, your third was in front of uh, 1,200 on TV. And then your 10th was on TV again, right? No, uh, 6 and 7. 6 was on TV, 7 was on TV also. But that, that was I reckon that's got to be people. like a world record. <laughs> I don't think anyone <laughs> of all time has done stand-up televised twice in their first seven gigs. Yeah, it wasn't good. Unless maybe if, if, it, maybe if someone started on one of those, like uh, America's Got Talent or something, but surely... Uh-huh. I don't know, but... I'm sure other people have done it in Raw. And then done uh, Up Late as well? Oh, maybe not. Wild. But, but yeah, I think Raw was... I, I know there are other people. I think Claire Sullivan it was one of her first gigs as well was the national final, which is televised. Yes, oh, that's true. Uh, people from outside of Victoria have less heats to get through, like Tasmania goes yeah. straight through. So often Tasmanians or Northern Territory entrance, their second mm-hmm. ever gig is... At the Melbourne Town Hall, which is wild. Yeah, which is crazy. insane. Well, these people's fourth gig was at Woodstock, so that is pretty crazy. I don't. Do you know Mountain? I don't really know Mountain. No, I don't know Mountain. It's a strong name, I'll tell you that. It is, they got in early with that one. Yeah. Yeah, don't mind that. The incredible string band versus Mountain. Have you ever Come heard on. of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band? That's another one of those old band names where I'm like, I mean, you've got so many options. I mean, everyone's <laughs> Nitty just Gritty Dirt, dirt. or Sorry. Dirt Band or something. <laughs> We were talking about bread a few episodes ago. Bread. Yeah, bread. What they're thinking. <laughs> what about just nitty-gritty? That'd be all right. Yeah. yeah. Nitty-gritty dirt band. Too, too, too mouthy. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, nitty-gritty. Leave a bit of mystery. What are they? Are they a band? Are they some dirt? Let's find out. I like the name of uh, Mountain's first album was Climbing! Exclamation mark. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's good. Mountain they climbing. they keep going with that theme? Uh, I hope so. The next one was Nantucket Sleigh Ride. I guess that's sort of. Mountain That's related. Sh- that sucks. Yeah, okay, yeah. Flowers of <laughs> Evil was their third album. All right. Oh, no. Back in form. But their fourth <laughs> album back on uh, is Avalanche. Mountain Avalanche, that works. Yeah, that sounds yep. good. Go For Your Life, Man's World, Mystic Fire, and Masters of War in 2007. So they... Oh, still going. Seem like they're maybe still around. Cool. Dave, I'm excited to... Because you said this is the, the big day. So right, I'm yes. excited to hear some names I know. All right, I reckon from now on... For the rest of the night, you'll know everyone here. The music went all night, and I mean all night, on Saturday. Because of the delay, some of the biggest bands of that entire era played at ridiculous hours. So Credence Clearwater Revival, who were the first band booked, remember, and one of the headliners didn't go on until very late. John Fogarty recalled this years later. We were ready to rock and roll, and we waited and waited, and finally it was our turn. There were half a million people asleep. These people were out. It was sort of like a painting of a Dante scene, just bodies from hell, all intertwined and asleep, covered with mud. And this is the moment I'll never forget as long as I live. A quarter mile away in the darkness, on the other side of this bowl, there was some guy flicking his bick. And in the night I hear, don't worry about it, John, we're with you. And I played the rest of the show for that guy. <laughs> Sounds like a euphemism, but I just realised that, that means he's wider. Not, yeah, bick lighter. Not having yeah. a wank. <laughs> Flicking his bick. I saw him in the distance. Having a wake. Don't worry, John, we're with you. His dick out. <laughs> Looking at me. And I, it was very uncomfortable. I played the rest of the show for that <laughs> masturbating man. <laughs> Flicking his bick. Uh, so, what a term. 
<laughs> so I love that. But I, Poetry. To be honest, I think Credence did not have a good time. They actually refused to be filmed, They, um, which I'll talk about this. There's a big documentary about this and they didn't want to be part of that and they didn't like the sound and they just didn't have a very good time. So I'm not surprised to hear that he's looking back with, on it. Right. Not very happy. But a I lot bet of other you people, other people. Uh, there's no way that everyone just slept through it. No yeah. way. No way, because listen to the lineup they would have been sleeping through. So this is the lineup on Saturday night. Basketball fans, The Grateful Dead went on at 10.30 p.m. Basketball fans are a pretty good band name. That is good. <laughs> they played only five songs in their hour and a half set. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> they finished with a 50-minute version of their song, Turn On Your Love Light. <laughs> 50 minutes. Yeah, for one song. I hope that guy wasn't flicking his bick for the whole oh, duration. Yeah, you gotta have a rest, He's mate. Trying to crescendo right you gotta get end. some. You gotta get some electrolytes in here. I think. <laughs> I'm raw over here. <laughs> <laughs> raw. Help me. Uh, so the Grateful Dead they played during the rain, and this is uh, Bob Weir told Rolling Stone magazine, who's one of the members years later. The stage was wet, and the electricity was coming through me. I was conducting. Touching my guitar and the microphone was nearly fatal. Oh. <laughs> I love everyone looking back on it. There's some outrageous stories. Uh, then the aforementioned Credence Clearwater Revival actually went on at 12.30, so I doubt everyone is dead asleep like he was claiming. No way. And then Janis Joplin performed with the Cosmic Blues Band from 2 till 3 a.m. What? She'd been excited by the large crowd when she arrived but had to wait 10 hours to perform and drank a lot of alcohol and shot up a lot of heroin whilst waiting. Pete Townsend. She thought that way when I'm coming down <laughs> and hung over. Perfect. And the, the guy in the crowd was also coming down. <laughs> Downhill. Oh no. Oh no. Uh, Pete Townsend, who performed with The Who later in the night after Joplin finished, witnessed her performance. And he said in his 2012 memoir, she'd been amazing at the Monterey Music Fest, but tonight she wasn't at her best due probably to the long delay and probably, too, to the amount of heroin and booze she'd consumed while she waited. But even Janice on an off night was incredible. So that's pretty cool. A little over a year later, she'd be dead at 27. Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, next up was... Sl- that didn't have anything to do with the heroin, did it? Oh, no, no, no. Just a coincidence. <laughs> oh, no. Don't know. Uh, wow. Sly and the Family Stone were up next from 3.30 to 4.20. What? Fuck off. Everyone go to bed. What are you doing? I got so sick after Splendour, the sickest I've ever been because it was so cold overnight that we didn't get much sleep because you couldn't get to sleep and then you'd wake up really hot in the morning once the sun hit. And so you're not sleeping and, uh, you know, you're just surviving on, on food truck food. I was sick for... Two weeks after it. How did, were there deaths because of Woodstock? It's mental. How is it? Oh, drugs. I was going to say, how's anyone alive? Drugs. That's, <laughs> That's right. They were on something, all of them. Yep, the whole time. It's the only way. So, yeah, 3.30 to a 4.20 for Sly and the Family Stone. Santana would say of Sly Stone, I don't think he ever played that good again. Steam was literally coming out of his afro. Wow. <laughs> uh, then The Who went on from 5 a.m. till 6.05 a.m., they had also waited 10 hours to perform after being scheduled to take the stage in the evening. That's how late everything's running. 
and it wasn't a comfortable wait in the muddy field. Quoting the Who's Roger Daltrey here from an article in Vulture that I'll link to, he said, it was even harder on the Who drummer Keith Moon. Daltrey said he always suffered from terrible nerves before performances, which per Daltrey always worsened the drinking habit that wound up killing him. An audience of half a million didn't exactly help. Even worse for Daltrey, who, while a dabbler in alcohol, abstained from drugs through this time, there was no food backstage and everything was laced with LSD. Even the ice cubes had been done, he said. Fortunately, I'd brought in my own bottle of Southern Comfort, so I was fine right up until the morning I decided to have a cup of tea. That's how they got me, a nice cup of hallucinogenic tea. Oh, my God. And also he's like, it's all right, I've got my own Southern Comfort, so I'm staying hydrated. (laughs) (laughs) This is blowing my mind. So that... They played um, their album Tommy in Full, which is like their concept album, and then played a couple of greatest hits at the end of their set. Wow. Jefferson Aeroplane finally wrapped up Saturday night, performing from 8 till 9.40am Sunday morning. (laughs) And then what? Did they have a break or do you just start again? They had a break for about five hours and then the music started again. What the fuck is this festival? (laughs) It sounds awful. Why is it so famous? It sounds like a fucking nightmare. I hate it so much. I'm loving your reaction. This is the best. I think I'm pretty sure modern festivals have a similar, they might not have the huge headliners playing at those times, but most of them would have music through the night, wouldn't they now? Splendor would, I think. No. No, that'll finish. That finishes at about midnight. Does it? Ma- yeah. Meredith and then goes nothing through starts till... up again until eleven or twelve I think the next day. Meredith on Saturday night goes through till eight a.m. I think. Does it? It goes all the way. Yeah. And there's a. They say never miss Silence Wedge, which is an an hour or two hour break. The last band and the I think the Tai Chi master who kicks off the Sunday. Yes, <laughs> love that guy. But at least because uh, they spread it out and you have designated camping areas. Yeah. You can go to bed at any yes. time and, and, and you I can do. get to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I love an afternoon nap, big time. Mm. Yeah, I remember looking for you and someone's like, he's having a kip. I'm like, oh, all right then, he's fine. <laughs> um, this is a nightmare. <laughs> also just from like uh, I'm a real planner, so the logistics right. of it are stressing me the fuck out. But the good out. thing is because you're waiting for 10 hours to go on. Only one stage. That's right. You can't miss anyone. Imagine if there were three stages all and you've planned out, oh, I've got to see this band at this time and then get to this other <laughs> stage at this time and they're all working off random five-hour behind time schedules. Oh, my God. Well, now if bands go like three minutes over, sometimes they'll literally pull the plug on the band. <laughs> That's what I like. I like organisation, logistics. We know what everything's Bring doing. Bring back wavy toilets. gravy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. 
Upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI... Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. (laughs) And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music, or eBooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Well, the music stopped for a few hours, like I said, but 2pm on Sunday, it kicked off back again with Joe Cocker and the Grease Band. Oh, I think oh, I've damn. seen performances of this. So good. Uh, then there was Country Joe and the Fish, the band. Can we, can we just, once more, I've got to say, so many band names available back then. You could have anything. The strokes that had I'm been taken. At- Pantera was still yeah. on the table. <laughs> Metallica. I'm looking around my room and I can think of better things. Salt Lamp. Well, that's not bad. Um, uh, Pen Cup. Uh, well, that right. sounds like one of the bands on this lineup, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Weed Cup. Hornet was still up for grabs. Weed Hornet. Well, Weed Hornet's on the table. And that makes more sense in that era than when I was in Year 7, sure. that's for sure. Keyboard Box. All right, Keyboard oh. Box is close, but I think it would, they would have to make it longer and more annoying. Keyboard box, fun time, silliness hour band. Band. (laughs) (laughs) You have to add band so people know what it is. Yeah, what what is this? Uh, So the band were followed by Johnny Winters, then Blood, Sweat and Tears. And uh, Matt, you'll love this. At 3am, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young took to the stage for what was only their second ever gig. Wow. What time was that? 3am. I saw them in 2013. And I don't think they'll ever play again from what I've been reading lately. Oh. They've a uh, uh, few of them, Crosby has fallen out with the rest of the band because he apparently was a bit of an a hole. Oh no! But he's apologising. I think he's realised it, and I, but it sounds like maybe uh, the damage has been done, sort of thing. Too little, too late. Yes, but they were. I'd feel lucky to have been able to see them. But um, yeah, three. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Second ever gig. Holy shit! Yeah, they performed an acoustic and then an electric set. Apparently the other acts on the bill who'd never heard them perform together had their eyes glued to this new sort of super groove. Yeah. Oh, like, that's cool. They were like the, the band's band of the festival. Right. Yeah, that's great. Love that. I just keep, um, it keeps popping into my head that quote you said before about uh, like everything was laced with LSD because I'm imagining like unpeeling a banana <laughs> and be like, oh, it's LSD. <laughs> and I, that image of unpeeling a banana and finding LSD just keeps popping into my head. They've glued the skin back on. <laughs> yeah. So if I ever look like, if my eyes glaze over a bit, I'm thinking about an LSD banana. <laughs> I just wanted you guys to know You've that. You've taken an LSD banana. <laughs> just thinking about it. Do you think Flick the Big Band Nothing safe. is anything? Flick the Big, yeah, it's a good the name. Flick the Big Band. Band. Got to yes. be banned back yeah. then. Yeah, flick the bick. Yeah. But what about L- LSD flick? banana is pretty good as well. LSD banana. LSD nana. <laughs> now we're going back to something we would have played at Woodstock. <laughs> LSD nana band. <laughs> That's our kids band. Yeah. You know, like we do children's entertainment. <laughs> LSD nana. About don't do drugs but eat bananas. 
good source of potassium, a low GI snack. <laughs> yeah, you're damn right. <laughs> it keeps you going in both it ways. It does, yeah. Um, so the crowd of industry friends uh, looking on from offstage was intimidating and this prompted Stills to say of the gig, this is the second time we've ever played in front of people, man. We're scared shitless. <laughs> uh, Neil Young was really young at the time. He was uh, only 23 for that gig. Crazy. Living up to his name. Yeah. Uh, the music okay. The music went on. Th- I mean, I'd... <laughs> huh? Huh? Picking up what you put down there? <laughs> <laughs> That's just me going, acknowledge me. Acknowledge me. Honest, hey? I actually had read the sentence wrong. I, re- I was supposed to say, Neil Young really was young, but I fucked it. <laughs> I fucked it. Neil Young was real young. His first, I think his first album might have even come out that year as well. So he was obviously... And he'd be pretty wide-eyed, right? Because he started out up in Canada where he's from. And imagine that would have all been pretty full on. Yeah, big deal. But I think, you know, he's the kind of guy that opens his mouth to sing and everyone goes, oh, shit. <laughs> but Matt, at the time, was he quite old or? Uh, no, I think uh, Neil was young. <laughs> Wait, but he was, when was he in Buffalo Springfield, Dave? I think he'd done a bit of stuff from that already. So I think maybe his solo album had come out 68, I was looking up, maybe the year okay, before. Okay, right. So, yeah, so he'd been, he had been around a little bit, but just them but as still, a foursome. It was their second ever gig. Yeah, second time that the four of them had come together. They all came. Had... They'd already had individual and band success with other bands, hadn't they? Yeah, Steels think... was from the Hollies. One of them, the English ones from the Hollies. Uh, one, well, a couple of them from Buffalo Springfield, and one of them um, from the Birds. From the Birds, yeah. It's it's what back then it just felt like every big band was there. You know, the Venn diagram of all the bands they just overlapped everywhere. And, yeah, I think yeah, people were like, whoa, these four people coming together, it sounds awesome. Yeah, it's sick. Mm. Uh, so the music continued on through the night again and into Monday morning, which initially wasn't supposed to happen. It was supposed to just be a Sunday night and it would finish. We had the Paul Butterfield Blues Band from 6 till 6.45 a.m. Sha Na Na was the second last act from 7.30 till 8 a.m. The then-new act probably only got on the bill because of their friendship with the ultra-cool Jimi Hendrix who took to the stage for the final and quintessential performance of Woodstock. Hendrix himself was actually up from 9am till 11.10am Monday morning. So he was supposed to be the Sunday night headliner. Right. After being introduced as the Jimi Jimi Hendrix experience, Hendrix corrected his temporary group's name to Gypsy Sun and Rainbows. (laughs) That sounds right. He said, for short, it's nothing but a band of gypsies. Okay. Despite playing such an iconic set, so a lot of people, when they imagine Woodstock, you see Jimi Hendrix up there. Yes. Which included a very famous uh, guitar rendition of the US National Anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. Not that many people actually saw him play it live. Because the festival ran an entire day late and he wasn't on until Monday by the time, uh, you know, things came around to it, a lot of people had actually left the festival by that time. They gotta get back to work. Yeah, these yeah. hippies need to go to their desk. They're jobs. all accountants by day. <laughs> yeah, they gotta go cut their hair and get back to work. Uh, he still played for somewhere between thirty and eighty thousand people, but still a lot less than a lot of wow. the other acts had. Wow. Accurate estimates are difficult because no one wants to say that they missed Hendrix at Woodstock. I was like, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, what, yeah, no, what a reward to hang around. He was the yeah. highest paid artist at the festival, so oh. arguably the headliner. He received eighteen thousand dollars which is equivalent to about 125000 US today. But wow. there was also a clause in his contract stipulating that no one could perform after Jimi Hendrix at the festival, oh. a clause which actually resulted in, in him playing to a much smaller crowd. So they probably could have put him on earlier, 
But then they would have had other artists after him, which he didn't want. So he played to less people. He kind of screwed himself yeah. there a little bit, didn't he? But I mean, like, he's still performing to what was it, 30 to 30, 30 to 80,000, yeah. 30 to 80. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's still pretty good, isn't yeah. it? Far out. That's sick. That is totally, that's the, that's the image in my head. If I think Woodstock, I think when you said Joe Cocker, that reminded me, I've seen clips of him playing a lot. But the Jimi Hendrix, is that where he, did he light his guitar on fire there? Is, am I thinking that? Um, Isn't that famous little ritual he did where he burned, was that somewhere else? I might have been somewhere else. I didn't watch the entire two-hour performance, which I definitely watched. Honestly, Dave, do you even give a shit about our podcast? <laughs> I watched the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. <laughs> What's that parody in? Uh, the Simpsons. Simpsons. Is it in, it's not in Wayne's World 2, is it? Uh, yeah, Wayne's World 2 is uh, Wayne Stock. Yeah, but is there a... <laughs> Or am I thinking, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, Jimi Hendrix looks like he burned his guitar at Monterey Pop Festival in 1967. Uh, that's another big one on the other other coast. And I should say, another, to correct another mistake I made, it was Graham Nash is the English one from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. He was the one from the Hollies. Stills was from Buffalo Springfield with Neil Young. And I, and I so just you... remembered another thing that connected an old report to this is remember that Phil Hartman designed their logo. Oh yeah, that's so cool. That was that was that was a really fun fact. If I can say that, Jess, I really thought that was fun. <laughs> I don't love that you did that, especially <laughs> on my special day. Sorry, sorry, but it was fun, so I'll allow it because yeah, I'm feeling honestly, generous. Because I'm I'm in my thirties now. Yeah. You know, I've matured. It does seem like something a cheeky twenty-something-year-old might say. So yeah. you'll let him get away with it this time. Yeah, that's all right, Scam. All right. Thanks, ma'am. I will murder you. So that's the music, which is obviously a big part of the festival, but I just wanted to say it was noticed just before the festival kicked off that they'd forgotten to hire an MC. Oh, that's good. So the festival's lighting designer, Chip Monk, who actually didn't have much to do in the end because they only had the spotlights, was asked to step (laughs) in at the last minute to introduce bands and make announcements. He can be heard and seen in recordings of Woodstock making stage announcements, including requests to stay off the towers. People started climbing the music speaker's towers and he had to tell them to get down, especially during the storms. And I love this warning about brown acid. He said, "Uh, to get back to the warning that I've received, you might uh, take it with however many grains of salt you wish, that the brown acid that is circulating around is uh, not specifically too good. It's suggested that you do stay away from that. Of course, if it's your own trip... So be my guest, but please be advised that there's a warning on that one, okay? <laughs> brown acid. Warning on that one. <laughs> uh, honestly, the brown acid, that's uh, an issue to do with uh, the portaloos. Uh, we didn't get enough yeah. and there has been some cross-contamination. So please stay away from the brown acid. Stop drinking the brown acid. Uh, towards the end of the festival, the farmer who owned the land, Max Yaskin, that they were using, made a famous address to the crowd. He said... This is his speech. I'm a farmer. Crowd cheer. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to speak to uh, twenty people at one time, let alone a crowd like this. But I think you people have proven something to the world. This is the largest group of people ever assembled in one place. We have have no idea that there could be this size group, and because of that, you've had quite a few inconveniences as far as water, food, and so forth. But above that. The important thing that you've proven to the world is that half a million kids, and I call you kids because I've got children that are older than you are, half a million young people can get together and have three days of fun and music and have nothing but fun and music. And I, I God bless you for it. 
Oh, that's, that's so said. nice. What that's a legend. so nice. That's sick. That's lovely. Dave, Which you, is really nice. You um, you read the uh, James Acaster's classic Scrapes book. There's a similar oh, kind scrape. of story in there. Do you remember? He was talking about doing a festival, uh, doing stand-up at a festival. And I, I'm going to butcher the story, but it basically goes that he, he it, it wasn't ideally set up for stand-up. Like there was no light on him or whatever. They were expecting musicians. So he went out and the crowd were hating him. And there was a similar <laughs> figure at this festival that just, uh, uh, who was like the Max, uh, their version yes, of the Max guy. And he came out and the crowd loved him. But they were booing, <laughs> I think they were booing James Acaster and asking for the farmer. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But it was, yeah, it was a, yeah. Bring it, back the it, farmer. It reminded me of a couple of festival spots I'd done where you're just like, oh, this is not built for comedy. Yeah, this sucks. I have not thought about this. Listening to that story made me feel sick in my stomach. But, yeah, I like this. This version is so much nicer. Everyone's on the same page. Max sounds yeah, like a legend. Well, yeah, and it sounds like the attitude at the festival was great. I have no issues with that. It's the logistics that I'm struggling with personally, not for me. Um, Dave, did you read anywhere how how much Max made from this? Like they rented the land Yeah, from they him. paid him, uh, well, something like $10,000 or something. So quite a lot of money. Yeah. All the well, time. I mean, comparatively, they paid Jimi Hendrix like 18 grand or something. Yes, right? and so he made similar money, you know, to some of the bigger musicians. Like He got similar yeah, money to, yeah. say, Credence, who are on yeah, big payday for a long weekend, essentially. And, yeah, and they sure. got, everyone got their money? Yeah, like, apparently. I read in some places. So this is the kind of thing where 50 years later, it's such an iconic thing, but everyone's high and drunk and yeah. there's so many stories. <laughs> that the Who Everything's laced with LSD, even the bananas. Well, the, the Who and Janis Joplin and a couple of other artists refused to go on until they got their, their, their money up front in cash backstage. Because the, well, when you've already waited 10 hours, I'd be saying money up front too, And you've actually, also seen that people are coming in for free. You're like, well, where's, yeah, how's, yeah, how yeah. are you paying for this anymore? So they had to get yeah. a a banker to front the money to cover it. Denture dollars. To give them the cash. And then they got the, you know, their equivalent of, you know, 80 grand or something. Right. Oh, that's good. I went to a festival about 10 years back uh, called the Blueprint Festival. And uh, I think... The organisers are maybe allegedly still on the run because <laughs> they. Oh no! Yeah, they bit off a bit more than they could chew and uh, owe owe a lot of people money. And I think I think they were just these young young kid organisers, and it was if I really enjoyed it. But yeah, I don't think the money made sense, and it's um, ended up kind of ruining their lives allegedly. Oh, well, that's a yeah. that's that's such a bummer for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, no one got paid. This is making Farm, me... Like the farmers, the lo- there were local businesses who put up food and drinks and everything. I just think like no one got paid. Yeah, this is making me want to watch the Fire Festival doco again. But it's the difference between like the Fire Festival disaster and everyone's like, um, this is not good enough. Whereas Woodstock's like, free love, baby, let's fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's no toilets. <laughs> Woo! Best weekend ever. Awesome. I didn't want one anyway. I love to not. I love to just shit. I anywhere. just like to poo wavy gravy, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Let the wavy oh. gravy fly. <laughs> well, less than two years after the festival, Max Yasker sold the farm, and in 1973, he sadly died of a heart attack, age 53. Rolling Stone accorded him a full page obituary, and he's one of the few non-musicians to ever receive such a tribute because of his, That's nice. his impact. 
That's lovely. That's so nice. Not nice that he died, well, obviously. Well, all good things but... must come to an end, Jess. That's right. It seems like he had a, a pretty good run. He seemed like a nice man. Uh, sadly, not everything about the festival was positive. There were two recorded... Yeah, no shit, Dave. I can name a bunch of things. And I have been, passionately. <laughs> well, there were two recorded fatalities at the festival. One from no. uh, insulin usage and another caused when a tractor ran over someone sleeping in a nearby hayfield. Oh, shit. Which is a bit nasty. That's not good. Insulin usage. Mm. Died from it. Oh, I, oh, I okay. had too much? I'm not sure if it... it um, if they'd had too much or they needed some and they didn't right. have it or that sort of oh, thing. But, yeah. Yeah, right. So two two deaths. But, one... but uh, two out of half a million people. That's right, with no proper security, no r- proper medical. They did have volunteers yeah. on site, but, you know, it's not enough for 500,000 people. And everyone's on drugs 24-7. Yeah, that's right. So you'd expect some overdoses or, exactly. no... you know, people needing medical attention. So that's actually, while very sad, especially somebody... Uh, it, that accident of the tractor, that's awful. But that those numbers are incredible. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of people, um, apparently the biggest injury was just people cutting their feet because everyone's work, walking bare feet. That was the, the most reported injury by the volunteer medical staff. But overall, everyone was pretty damn safe. Amazing. Wow. That's awesome. Once the crowds left, again, uh, this caused traffic jams. They also left a lot of mess behind. The cleanup took days, cost tens of thousands of dollars, and required bulldozers. There was that much shit there. Oh, that's gross. Literal shit. Yeah, yeah literally, yes. Yeah. But um, they just used that as manure in the nearby fields. Honestly, it was one of the most prosperous seasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, swings and roundabouts, eh? Yeah, the farmers were like, come back, keep shitting. <laughs> <laughs> Shit over there, well, please. Can you shit over there? I need some wheat. Can everyone spread out and take a shit, please? <laughs> Three shit minimum. Uh, all in all, despite being so damn ramshackle in last minute, Woodstock was culturally a huge success. However, all up, it cost $3 million to host the festival. And because of the sheer scale and the fact that they had to make it free for 80% of attendees, the organisers lost a lot of money. Uh. Fortunately... For them, most of the band's performances were filmed and in 1970, the following year, a documentary called Woodstock, directed by Michael Wadley, was released to huge critical acclaim. With a runtime of over three hours, uh, and these days there's a, um, a four-hour version, it was edited by seven people, including Thelma Schoonmaker, who would go on to win multiple Academy Awards editing Martin Scorsese's films, and also oh. edited in part by Martin Scorsese himself when he was very young. Oh, cool. I'm also just imagining the four-hour version is just slowed down. <laughs> it's the same. 75%. It's just a bit slower. <laughs> and there was a lot to edit. Director Wadley at the festival shot 315,000 feet of film, nearly 100,000 metres. Whoa. I love what? hearing about that measured in feet. <laughs> yeah. He had, like, multiple cameras set up and they're all running film and all filming the entire festival. So it's just there was just so much. That's amazing. The film won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Film and was a box office smash, grossing over $50 million on a budget of only 600000 Whoa! So it made more than 15 times the entire festival cost, which is crazy. Wow. So it was, that's nuts. And it was a lifeline to festival organisers who were part of the producing it, and the movie financed settlements and paid off $1.4 million or nearly $10 million US million of debt they had. 
occurred incurred from the festival. So, oh, that's lucky. So thank God they filmed it. Oh, and it was yeah. just luck. They're just like, oh, it'd be fun to film sort of thing. Yeah, well, they got the. Well, I thought that, you know, they thought it was going to be a thing, but I don't think culturally that was like the biggest music documentary ever right. at the time. Like, I think it was something like the fourth, third or fourth grass, uh, highest grossing film of the entire year. Like, think about the last time a documentary was in the top three highest yeah. grossing films of the year. Yeah. It was crazy successful. Incredible. And that must, that must have been good for the bands as well. Would have given oh, yeah, them absolutely. a big boost. So a bunch of those acts, even though some of them we don't remember them all today, like uh, the guy, Richie, that start, that opened the festival, that really kick-started his career and him being part of stuff like the film and the soundtrack really gave him a career. That's awesome. I should also say the documentary and its live soundtrack album also helped put Woodstock on the cultural map, connecting it to not only the people that attended but millions more around the world. So that's another reason that we generations later still know it because the film yeah. was, and we've all seen that footage of, you know, even for a few seconds of Jimi Hendrix, like that's part of the fest the documentary. Yeah. Now the cover of the live album released became one of the most iconic photos of the festival. Uh, if I showed it to you, I reckon you might see it. Uh, might have seen it. It's taken by Burke Uzzel. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and it features yes. uh, Bobby Kelly embracing his then girlfriend of only ten weeks, Nick Urkeline. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the gender's the other way around. Maybe it's Bobby Kelly embracing her boyfriend of ten weeks, Nick Urkeline. They were tracked down years later and are still married to this day. Oh, not amazing, 50 years later. That's nice. So in the, they're sort of embracing and they're wearing like a sort of hippie-looking blanket type thing with a crowd behind them. And it's just a really nice moment. And they barely knew that the photo was taken. And apparently when the album came out, they were like, oh, wow, we're on the cover. That's us. That's cool. And then 50 years later they were tracked down and they were like, yeah, we're still married and I saw video footage of them. They just look like, you know, our parents. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm looking at that photo now. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Yes, you know I was just looking yeah. at that photo before. Yeah, I've yeah. Got, gotcha. Maybe I'll try, and, got try and use it for the cover image that I release on our Instagram if you want to see it. Great. I'm pretty, yeah, I, I bought that uh, CD for my dad ages ago. But I don't know if I ever listened to it. Is it is it worth a listen? Like the record quality is good? Yeah, they totally, and it's been remastered and it sounds really, really good. Yeah, sick. Probably better than it actually sounded in live in person, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. I mean, it's a very nice photo, but I don't... Is that the best photo they had from the day? You couldn't have something of, like, the whole crowd on the stage oh, or something, looking a bit more grand. I'll try and post a few photos as well from the air. It's insane. It's seeing, amazing. I'm look, are you looking at I'm that? I'm looking at Google Images. How many yeah, people, yeah. like half a million people on this grassy hill. Or, or it's like Santana said, just a mass of people. It's terrifying, really. I, I saw a photo before of people way up the back, like you could barely see the stage from where they... From in the photo, you could barely see it. So they definitely couldn't see the stage from where they are. And they're sitting shoulder to shoulder, like they're tightly packed in that far back. Far out. It's insane. It's awesome. I just want to end with a, well, I'll end with this fact and then uh, a line from our old mate Carlos Santana. So this is a crazy historical fact. All three of these report topics and huge moments of the 20th century all happened in a 30-day period. Think about this month. The moon landing... The Manson family murdering eight people, including Sharon Tate, and then Woodstock, all in 30 days. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? What in 30 days? Yeah, so in the same month. Wow. That's And they nuts. call it the summer of love. It seems a bit more messed up than that, right? Yeah. And then Vietnam's really kicking off and people are being conscripted, all sorts of stuff, yeah. Jeez Louise. Wow. That's nuts. Uh, Santana would later say, 
looking back on it, remember he was high as hell whilst playing accidentally with a snake. He said, some people called it a disaster area, but I didn't see nobody in state of disaster. I saw a lot of people coming together, sharing and having a great time. If that was out of control, then America needs to lose control at least once a week. <laughs> in the 60s, people didn't go to concerts to get drunk and pick up chicks. They went to get bombarded with music and be taken somewhere else. When he came out, you never knew where you were if you were going to be the same. You didn't go to a concert to escape. You went to a concert to expand. I wish you oh. finished that with man. That would have been better. Man. Yeah, I don't think it would have made that better. That would have been perfect, Expand, yeah. man. Man. <laughs> uh, the opening act of the festival, Richie Havens, who was forever associated with Woodstock, died of a heart attack in 2013. And as per his wishes, his ashes were scattered from the air above the Woodstock site on its 44th anniversary that year. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's nice. There you go. So what's, do, do um, you know what the... Uh, the farm is now it's still a working farm. Oh, right. So there's been a number of anniversary concerts over the years, the biggest being Woodstock 94 and Woodstock 99 for the 25th and 30th anniversaries. These took place in New York in the state but were nowhere near the original site. Right. Probably worth their own report, especially Woodstock uh, 99, which was marred in violence and was a complete disaster by many The Exact years. opposite. And wasn't it, I think Metallica played there and it was like, uh, it, like heavily, a uh, lot of advertising, a lot of corporate sponsors yeah, and stuff like a, the opposite a, of oh. <laughs> what a weird like, way to it was, celebrate it it was like the the mtv version yeah. i think people were saying oh that was yeah a lot of new metal was huge at the time so you had limp biscuit corn those types of bands who thought that was a good idea yeah some of the the people that organized the the four that organized the original festival were involved but then they very much distanced themselves saying oh no we we're only initially involved no that wasn't us <laughs> yeah far out but the original site was purchased in 1996 by billionaire Alan Jerry and today is home to the Bethel Woods Centre for the Arts, which includes a museum and a 15,000-seat outdoor concert venue. In 15,000? Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, it's kind of like an amphitheatre. That's nice. On August 13th, 2006, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young performed before 16,000 fans at the new centre, 37 years after their historic performance at Woodstock. Cool. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, there's still concerts there and you can go and have a look and we'll just have to add it to the list of many, many things that we want to see when we finally get to the oh, United States. Oh, man, we, yeah, that would be so cool to get there. Yeah, to just, just to walk through if you're allowed to, which I imagine, I don't know, do they do tours or something? I wonder. Yeah, well, because there is like mm. a Woodstock Museum there and and you can, yeah, I imagine go have a look. That'd be great. At the actual site. I'd be keen for sure. Yeah. Dave, after doing the report, um, would you... Go to Woodstock. Great question. Because um, I feel like Matt probably would. Yes. I mean, you'd I, have to, right? Mm. I mean, it would be tricky if you did. You absolutely don't have to, no. <laughs> you reckon if you could go back in time, go to Woodstock, you wouldn't go? No. I mean, I'd still be the same person I am now and that would still be my <laughs> yeah, nightmare. Right. <laughs> I think I would. I, I, I'm halfway between the both of you. I think I would find it a nightmare, but I would just be so intrigued by the vibe, everything about it, the story, the history, and now researching this because I also saw video footage of the mud and the, you know, rain and now hearing about lack of food and sanitary is like sanitation. It's like, oh. Yeah. But also seeing those iconic bands and just being part of it. If I knew that I could safely four days later come back and be my modern self and be safe, I'd say yes. Oh, I wouldn't stay for the four days. If I could pop in, <laughs> have a look around for a bit and then leave, I'd do it. But if I had to be there for four days, even a full night, nah, <laughs> not doing it. 
I think I think Dave, you and I are on a similar. So I think what you said is kind of how I feel as well. I think we're on a similar mm. sort of level because it's just so intriguing. Like you want to be there. I think any of those big historical moments. Some if you could be there, even just to view it. Yeah. You know, just yeah. to be part of the history. But like you know, as long as you could could be safe, I'd probably say yes. Yeah. Uh, but that is my. But rep- everything is laced in LSD, Dave. <laughs> no, everything, even bananas. Don't. Touch any, especially bananas. <laughs> brown bananas, because that's that brown LSD. The brown acid. Yeah. Brown acid. And that is, I mean, it's your trip, so you do you, but you probably shouldn't. You shouldn't do that one. Well, that is my report on Woodstock 1969. Great report, Dave. Nice. Enjoyed it very much. Yeah, well done. That was wild. What a ride. Yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy story. And like, like I said at the start, I really didn't really know much about it at all, so I was... It was a fun one to dive into. I put it up for a vote yeah. uh, a few months back. So I and I just quickly checked if uh, there was enough info. So I I got as far as knowing four young men uh, put it together, <laughs> and I didn't get beyond that. So uh, thanks for filling in the rest. There was a couple of details you got to that I didn't. Just a couple. Just a couple. But yeah, uh, Dave, you should post a few video clips during the week as well on our social media. Of some of the yeah yeah absolutely we'll try and get the vibe across. I'll I'd love to see a Joe Cocker one again if you can. All right, I'll try and remember a bit of Joe Cocker. I'll try and put the uh, Jimi Hendrix Star Spangled Banner just because it is so iconic. I'll go shit in a bucket <laughs> to sort of get the get the vibe going. <laughs> just live. I won't live shower it. for the next four <laughs> days and I won't eat. I'll just do acid <laughs> for the next four days. As a tribute. It's, it's raining quite heavily outside. I think I'll sleep out there yeah. tonight. I think I think it's the his cover of the uh, Beatles with a little help from my friends. I think is one of his iconic ones from Woodstock. What would How you good, do? It's just one of those. You know, I'd love to do a mix of uh, covers that are better than the originals. I reckon that would fit the bill. I hate that right. song, and I hate it because they. Or I don't necessarily hate it, but um, on an episode of Sesame okay. Street, it was a dog looking for his bone, and he could not find it anywhere. But his friends oh, yeah. came; that they helped make him that find his bone. <laughs> yeah. Well, just another thing, Jim Henson Company is ruined. <laughs> well, another song that's ruined by Sesame Street for me is Material Girl because they had a, a young girl puppet who um, had cereal for breakfast. She was a cereal girl. Uh, <laughs> that's good stuff. Come on, that's good Huey stuff. Lewis and the News is hip to be square as well, and it was about the shape really? square. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, Sesame Street, you have so much to answer for. <laughs> hey, but that does bring us to everyone's favourite section of the show, the Patreon section, which kicks off with the fact quote or question section, which has a jingle, I think, that goes like this. Fact, quote, or question. He always remembers the ding. Uh, the way to get involved with this is if you join up on Patreon at patreon.com slash pod, and you sign up on the Sydney Scheinberg Lux Memorial Edition level and you then get, uh, when you sign up, there's a link you get and you get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question. If you're on that level and you, this sounds confusing to you, send me a message on Patreon and I'll... Uh, sort you out. But I think it seems to be running pretty smoothly now. And I read out a few each week and I read them out first time on the podcast. So uh, please bear with me. The first one comes from Drew Forsberg. 
And he's given himself the title. Everyone gets to give themselves a title as well as ask a fact. <laughs> Tell a quote or say a question. <laughs> and uh, Drew's given himself the title of Official NBL Most Efficient Player Award nominee. Please do not oh, fact check. Wow. Okay, well, unless uh, you're Andrew Gaze going under a pseudonym. Oh, that would be amazing if true. Imagine if Gazy listened. I love you. We love you, Gazy. Oh, have I, have I said on the podcast yet that I interviewed him? That's going to come out in a month or so on the Stupid Old Channel. He was so fun rules. to interview. The best. Just such a lovely, fun guy. All the interviews I've done for that series have been brilliant. Well, I enjoyed them. I don't know how brilliant they'll be to watch me fumble around interviews with my heroes. who's editing them? Is it Evan Munro-Smith? Yeah, Emma and Evan at Stupid Old are handling the edit. So then it will be brilliant. (laughs) I have not had the balls to watch it yet. It's just like what a nightmare watching yourself um, be awkward around heroes. But hopefully a bit of fun for others. Um, Anyway, Drew... Forsberg is asking a question and it goes like this. Not sure if this counts as cheating, but what are your favourite games of the following three types? Physical, tabletop and videographic. Okay. I'm confused so far. Uh, Answers can be childhood or current. I apologise if this is a rehash, but I was hoping to create a fun discussion out of it. I seem to have a knack of being an underwhelming fact quote or question contributor and wish to do better for you all. Also, the first Aww. syllable in my last Great. name is pronounced Fors, not Force. Drew Forsberg. Sorry, Drew. And thank you for leaving that right to the end, <laughs> just ensuring that I got it wrong <laughs> again. Okay, so. That's the way to do it. So favourite ga- physical game, okay. tabletop, so I'm guessing is like a board game or a card game or something okay, like that. Yep. And I should say, Drew, uh, I have not found you to be underwhelming at all in the past. Absolutely not. No, this is a great question. It really is. I was just a bit confused by it. I, I still am, so I'm going to let you guys so, go first and I'll jump in. Well, I was still clarifying it. So physical game, a like a tabletop game or video game? Yes. So oh, one of yep. each, I should say, yep. yeah. Yep. Should we go around the circle okay. for each category okay. maybe? Okay. So what's a physical game mean? Is that like um, 40-40? I think that's... Like kids' I think, games? I think or that like, means like sport, sport Okay. And is it to play or well, what? Well, I'll, I'll give you one of each. Favourite sport, basketball, to play, to watch maybe maybe basketball, maybe rugby union. Yeah, rugby love it. Really? Um, Seriously? Yeah, I love watching. I get very into the... I love the Wallabies. Good for you. Love them. Maybe I should give it a crack. Um, it's fun. I did line out. They... The gigantic men lifting each other up. Yeah, it's beautiful. That's I so love nice. it. It's my favourite bit. It's so graceful. But it's hard supporting um, the Wallabies. I mean, I say that being a Saints supporter in AFL, but the hard they have been, you know, we're so close to the best team in the world here, like yeah. geographically in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> to be fair, I haven't, like, really followed them for a couple of years, but I do very much enjoy watching, like, the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, it's so fun. I love any big World Cup. Love it. Is, the cricket, yeah. the soccer, I love all that. A lot of fun. Um, but then, like, kids' game, uh, maybe hide-and-seek. Oh, classic. Oh, yeah. or, or what's the time, oh, Mr. Wolf? Oh, that's a good, a good one. one. I can't remember how that that's works, fun. but that rings a bell as being fun. Yeah. Murder in the Dark, whichever iteration you play. No one remembers, so no one remembers how to Everyone's play Everyone's got it. a different one. Um, card game or, like, tabletop game. Um, my favourite card game is 500. Oh, me too. Love it. A lot of fun. Play that with my folks. 
a bit. I hadn't played for a really long time and then went over for dinner recently and, and I saw their pack of 500. I was like, let's do this. And then obviously there's the uh, the traditional three hours of trying to explain it to a new player who doesn't get it mm. and it's very confusing, um, but I love it. And if you're going to play it with my parents, you got to always be on dad's team because he... <laughs> Gives zero fucks. He makes very big calls and backs himself <laughs> and usually pulls it wow. off. <laughs> wow, good for him. Well done, John. Yeah. Um, and then video game. Oh, The Sims. That's an easy one. Okay, that's a good one. How about you, Matthew? I want to get this podcast over and done with so I can go play some <gasps> Sims. Dave, do you want you? Let's go <laughs> go by category. You go. What's your physical? Uh, physical. If we're doing sport to play, it would be. I really liked tennis growing up, especially. Mm-hmm. And to watch, it's probably tennis as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, tennis. tennis I love watch. Yeah. Honestly, I grew up the Aussie Open time of year. I love it. The start right. of the year when it's summer. I like that can, time like, of year, but I find tennis pretty boring to watch. Oh, I, like I love when you put on a enough a late game. They're playing till like midnight, but it's hot, so you're not going to bed anyway. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I was gonna say it was the first time I went to the tennis this year. Went for a day with my mum. I'd never been before. I'd watched it a lot, but I I got to go. That was I fun. used to go on the school holidays for the Australian Open. I get a. a Day pass for the what do you like the outer courts pass? You just wander the around. Ground, yeah, pass? Yeah. ground, ground pass, ground pass, which I it, yeah. prefer to than sitting on centre court and just watching one game after the other. I like wandering around and seeing the tiny games where there's like yeah. twenty seats around a court, and you can see these little uh, unknown players. It was that was fun, and they're still mm. the best player you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah just wild because I was playing back then. I was. One of the sports I played probably the most as a kid. I did try them all. <laughs> but I think, yeah, to play these days as an old man, probably golf is my favourite to play just because it's the only sport I've really played. Like, I've been kicking the footy around a bit, which is fun, but it's not really a sport. But to watch is definitely AFL or, or Aussie rules. And mm. uh, But I've been watching a bit of cricket, the English summer. I've been watching, I really enjoyed watching them play the West Indies a uh, month back, especially the first test when the Windies were competitive. They got less competitive as it went on. But anyway, um, yeah, but to play, probably golf, to watch, probably Aussie rules, I'd say. And then the next one, Dave, was uh, tabletop. tabletop. I love um, I love card games as well, like Jess. I played. I haven't played 500 in years, so I, mm. it would take me a little bit to pick it back up, but my family used to play it a lot, which I love. And in terms of like a board game type thing, I also haven't played in years now because no one I know knows how to play, but I used to play a lot of uh, Mahjong, the Chinese oh. game. Oh, yeah. I used to play that on the computer a fair bit. Did you play? So there's like two versions. There's the one where it's like um, we have to match the tiles and there's yeah. also the one we have to, we, it's like a, it's basically a card game but with tiles and you have to like make suits and pairs and, and you compete against I'm three other players. Pretty confident I was just matching tiles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going, this is fun. I've had that a few I times. I love Mahjong. <laughs> I've had it a few times where I'm like, oh, sick, I can play Mahjong, and then it's the other one. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> right. I used to play that. And then when I, was in, when I went to China many years ago, I, I, I played and bought a set there and it was just, yeah, really, really fun. But I need to find people that know how to play it because I only knew it because I used to go out with a girl whose family were really into it, so I'd play That's with them. That's the only time oh, yeah. I've ever played it as well. And I used to uh, date someone whose family played and we played on yeah. their, like, their family holidays. Yeah, great fun. Love it. And the yeah. tiles are so cool, like, you know. Yes, they look great, don't they? Little things smooth and, like, colourful. Yeah, great. I think my, uh, for tabletop, if, that's like board games, right, as well? 
Yeah, I think yeah, Trivial yeah. Pursuit, bit of a classic. That's probably my my oh, favorite fun. one to play. And the other one I, I enjoy, although I haven't played it in ages, is um, Ultimate Boulder Dash. Oh, great ah. game! Yeah, that's fun. So there's like five different categories, and you got to everyone has to make up a thing. So it's either a date, or an acronym, or a word. And so the words like a an obscure word, everyone goes around and writes down a fake definition for that word. And then whoever's turn it is reads them all out and everyone has to guess what the real meaning of the word is or what that date is actually famous for or uh, what the anagram actually stands for or whatever. So it's just a bull, it's a bullshitting game, which uh, funnily enough, I enjoy a bit. But yeah, like I said, I haven't played <laughs> it in quite a while. Uh, and then the last one, Dave, this one's harder for me, the videographic game. Uh, for me, there's a tie between I loved Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 or 3 and then also absolutely loved Pokemon on the Game Boy. Right. Ooh, so yeah, good, so fun. Yeah, so good. I think I'm going to have to go with probably uh, old school Mario, just running <laughs> left to right, head yeah, bricks, like... getting mushrooms and whatnot. I was... Confident you were going to say Pong. Oh, Pong? I don't mind Pong. I actually... <laughs> it's so uh, Do you remember when I, that came well, out? Well, I used before? to play this game eight when I was quite <laughs> little and it would have been on friends' computers. It was called uh, Commander Keen, I think. And there was a game inside that game where you could play Pong. And it was it is fun. Commander Keen was also fun. It was a left-to-right sort of world game. Donkey Kong Country was another one I played a lot as a kid. And Battletoads yep. is another favourite. Oh, cool. Fun stuff. Yeah, I'm like like of the age where I like going left to right. Or I think I'm actually probably even too young for a lot of those games, but because we got an out-of-date console when everyone else was playing yeah. 64 and moving forwards, we were still playing Super Nintendo. But Who cares? Oh, I know, but memories. I actually... Yeah, but it nice means that I, that's just like... Because I haven't really played much since then, that's what I still prefer to play. Ah, oh, yeah. that was a good question, well, Drew. Classics. Jeez, you got some mileage out of that. Feels like we've been talking for about half an hour. Yeah. That might be our longest ever fat quote question. <laughs> Thank you for that, Drew. The next one comes yeah, from Serge Paris, who's given himself the title of Reserve Bartender of the Triptych Club on probation after drinking more than making. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's also asked funny. a question. And Siraj's question is, as we're living in an increasingly complex socio-political climate and considering the multitude of factors at play in dealing with the COVID situation, have you recently re-watched any TV shows or cave paintings from when you were a kid and did they hold up? <laughs> oh, hang on. I think that cave painting might have been directed at me. Got him, yeah. Uh, what have I been watching? I've been watching The West Wing, which isn't a re-watch, even though it is 20 years old. It's my first time watching you've probably overtaken me now I've, I've sort of stopped i've slowed a little bit on that yeah i think uh it's 2002 where i'm watching so i guess third season maybe yeah, yeah maybe, i'm yeah. sort of i'm into it and i'm not it's a tricky show some of the stuff is so like sappy that it's hard to watch almost yeah and the the Aaron, you can see the writing sometimes too much yeah okay but, yep well, I think like I think it's a very good show, but I think maybe just at the moment, I, I I'm just looking for easier yep. things to watch. I want just something kind of dumb that I can just let wash right. over me. And I feel like that is what the West Wing is doing for me. It just feels pretty dumb. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, Dave, what are you watching? Uh, I've been rewatching really a lot of action movies. 
Yes. And my favourite movie is, as a teen, Terminator 2 definitely holds up. So Oh, cool. Check it out. That's good. That's you guys nice. haven't seen it, have you? I don't think so. I think I've seen no. parts of it. Is that the one where he gets frozen and keeps walking? Yes, that is yeah. Terminator 2, yeah. Great film. So good. So good. Should give it a watch. My plan for this week, so, well, okay, so when this comes out, it's Wednesday, so it's my birthday. My plan is to just watch Avengers ah. movies. Cool. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I bet you they just don't hold them. up that well, but maybe they do. I think when you just um, when you just blindly love something, um, you forgive it of all of its right. shittiness. Oh, that's nice. You know? Well, that's yeah. the hope, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the thing that I have just started re-watching, uh, which isn't, was only from a couple of years ago, is uh, The Umbrella Academy, doing a short season yep. of recaps for... Uh, primates at the moment and two mm. episodes in and I already think that it has ho- held up. It's looking really good. I'm, so watching that leading up to then watching the second season, which is now out as well, uh, Evan and I are yeah, going cool. through them all. So that has also been good. Check that out on Primates' channel. Uh, thank you so much for that question, Suraj. Uh, now, Fahad Al Thani has given himself the title of senior executive, doing what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Good for you. That's a good title. (laughs) Go get him. And the question is, if you would have to describe Australia in one word, how would you describe it? Australia in one word? It's hard to describe anything in one word. Um, Big. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Yeah, you can't argue with that. It's big. Um, and we have lots of big things, so it works on a couple of levels, mm. you know. The big yep. banana. Damn, that's the good. Big okay. Um, uh, what about um, hot? Hot. In, yep. I guess in both so. ways, very sexy as well. Oh yes, hot Be bods. Very, very hot sexy. bods is what's implied. But yeah. Oh yeah. Um, okay. What do you I'm going to say wide. Oh, yeah. So it, if we recap, it's big. Hot and wide. <laughs> what are we describing? Are we writing a new national anthem right now? <laughs> it's big, hot and wide. Come inside. We are Australia. Oh, Dave, stop it. And that's just the first verse. We are Australia. Uh, thank you so much for that question. We haven't um, spent anywhere near as much time on your uh, topics, so... Um, you'll already know this for hard, but I'm uh, giving you. Uh, I've just googled your name. It means panther. Okay, I'm sure you're already aware of that, but that's a fun fact attached. Wow. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so pan- pantera could have been called yeah, Fahad. If, if they went with the Arabic Ooh. version, they would have gone for Fahad, which is a cool metal name as well. Love you actually that. think yeah. that is? A, that's probably a really good metal name, isn't it? Uh, And finally this week, the last fact or quote or question comes from Paul McNally, uh, who's given himself the title of Head of Diagnostics. uh, And as context, he uh, writes, I work as a radiographer, mainly with X-ray and MRI. So anatomical diagnostics are grand with me. I feel like branching out. TV fucked. I'll tell you why. Dog sick. No worries. Problem with government's policy. 100% can tell you why. Not going to help you solve them, though. Oh, felt so, felt so promising early, but in the end. Right. 
I wish that he'd X-ray those bloody clowns up in Parliament House. Chuck them in the MRI, see what they see what they're really thinking about. Yeah, it's clowns up on Capitol Hill. <laughs> okay, so this is a fact from Paul, and it is long looking, but I reckon it's just within the word limit. Here we go. The Soviet Union was founded basically to promote workers talking, uh, taking over the workplace, up to and including the country. But other mini Soviets sprung up around that time. The very first was a Soviet state set up in a town about 10 minutes' drive from where I live, the Monaghan Soviet. It was founded in asylum to protest against the 95-plus hour, hour weeks that staff had to endure. The red flag of communism was raised above the building. It was set up in February 1919 and lasted 12 days. The workers won a 56-hour working week, the right for married staff to go home after your shift ended, Apparently, the boss could just keep the gates shut before then. A pay rise and an equal pay of women doing the same work. That's the fact. And then he's got a side note. I know vaguely of this topic, but not much about it. Then I looked into the location and saw it was held in the mental hospital my late father used to work in. When they commissioned a new building to replace the old ward blocks, my dad was going to be the head of this new facility and was allowed to pick the colours for the paint on the walls. And he picked some bright communist red. <laughs> I thought it was strange at the time as a 10-year-old, but now as a 32-year-old, I get the joke. Viva la revolution! <laughs> <laughs> that is a very interesting yeah. fact. I mean, I don't think I fully took it all in because I was reading it at the same time. No. But yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that sounds wild. Um I just want to very quickly find out what Paul means because that's my dad's name as well. Oh, it is not, it is not as good. Well, what I oh, took no. away from that just quickly is that you said that married workers were allowed to leave. <laughs> With a single, yeah, single people, people locked, locked, locked in. in. <laughs> and then you can't... So Paul doesn't uh, mean no, Panther Paul means small. It's small from Panther? the Roman small family Panther. name Paulus, which meant small or humble in Latin. Humble's, Humble's better. Okay, humble. I guess. Humble's small. better than small. I mean, there's nothing wrong small. with small either, I guess, but depends on what uh, what it's a, what it's about, and you know, so you know, size of the matter, all that sort of stuff. Okay, we know that. That's what, that's what small people say. Yep. Um, and that's the end of all right. Well, the thank you to all our questions. questions. Four crackers. That was real high quality. Uh, the other thing we like to do yeah. is thank a few uh, a few patrons who are on the shout-out level, which I believe is the D.B. Cooper level, Dave. Yeah, you can work it out if you go on Patreon. Yeah. You'll work it out. Uh, there are no Triptych Club members inducted this week, so we're just doing the uh, a few shout-outs each. Patreon I might shout kick outs. it off if that's okay with you all. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, sure. How are we thanking them? Oh, though? yes, Jess. You normally come up with a little thing for us to do. I think um, for this week we will assign what they're doing at oh, Woodstock. Oh, great. Fantastic. I love that very much. All right. So mm. we're kicking off first from Zephyr Hills. Zephyr Hills, I think it is. Zephyr Hills in Florida, United States. Albert Favorer. Albert Favorer is... Um, he is just wandering around, just checking on everyone. He's got a little, a little first aid oh, kit. Oh, that's great. 
um, and he's just making sure everyone's all right. Still having a great time, still enjoying, but just sort of, you know, just looking out for everybody. Has he got a little clipboard? He's got a clipboard and a little first aid kit, and when someone goes, i got an owie, he puts a Band-Aid on. He gives it a clean, puts a Band-Aid on. I mean, they're just going to get muddy again anyway. Um, but, yeah, and then he's like, you okay? And they're like, yeah, I'm all good. Thanks, Al, but Aww. I feel better now. Oh, that sounds yeah. lovely. That actually sounds very uh, much and, the know, vibe. It seems like just a small task of all the things that I could have assigned. It, well, it seems like I've gone for something a little bit dumb. But, you know, just in the sense of like a human connection, mm. it's, it's That's the biggest That's so good. Thing I've just uh, looked up a pronunciation website as well and it says, I should have said Albert Favour. Favour. Yeah, that that looks right, I guess. Favour. Thank you yep. so much, Albert, you legend. Doing God's work there. I'd also Thanks, love Albert. to thank from Oxnard in California, United States, Brian Stafford. Brian. Oxnard, that sounds bloody badass. Yeah. And, uh, but Brian is so badass that he's in charge of the Woodstock suggestion box. Whoa. Oh, love that. Bit of feedback. Yes, yeah, so he's like out there, hey guys, anyone got any suggestions? <laughs> Put it in the box. It's completely anonymous. We're not going to fucking. And people are writing in, like, get some toilets <laughs> or. Um, <laughs> Some adequate food. Yeah. He's like, okay, yes, great feedback. Uh, Thank you. We're gobbling all up, all up maybe this next feedback. Maybe music should stop at midnight, you know. <laughs> oh, okay, you want some sleep at some point. Yeah, okay. okay. No 20-mile okay. traffic jams. All right, man. I'm all getting right, come it. on, we can't do everything. That come is on. A, <laughs> God, you've been around reasonable. Imagine being here. that guy and having to be like, oh, great, yeah, we'll take that on board. We'll see what we can do. Shit, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like we haven't really done anything right. <laughs> he's like, I do not have that power. I cannot do that. Yeah, but I'll pass it up the chain, I guess. I'm just Thank you so much for doing that, Brian. <laughs> Great work once again. Now from Austin, Texas. Stay weird, or whatever their motto is. Alec <laughs> Ruiz Guerrero. Guerrero. Alec. Alec Ruiz Guerrero. I think what Alec will do is he will uh, just to check in on everyone's tent putting up ability. So he'll go around and just make sure they're all structurally sound. Oh, so he's a tent, tent checker. checker. exactly. Love that. Very important job because we need shelter for all that yes. sleep we're going to get. And he goes around, <laughs> he's got spare pegs, he's got spare stick things in oh, case. And he just knows how to, sometimes you just need someone who knows yeah, how to put up I a I do. Every tent. time I'm putting up my stupid pop-up <laughs> tent, which is was yeah. uh, purchased to make it easier. <laughs> yeah. They're never like they no. describe. No, it's never just give it a flick and it does it itself, you know. It's never just no. flick the bick <laughs> and you've got a that's tent. What, that's what they should well, design, an actual flick the bick tent. I reckon bick yeah. could Well, do once it. the tent goes up, I'm flicking yeah, my bick. Oh, big time. Thank you, Alec. That Jeez, that, <laughs> so practical this week. Everyone's doing really good jobs. Loving it. Um, Dave, do you want to thank some people as yes, well? Yes, I'd like to thank from Suva. In Fiji, the capital of Fiji. Oh, there you wow, go. Awesome. Right. That's freaking cool. Uh, David Cullen. David Cullen, of course, um, Fiji famously has the bananas on the flag. I think David is in charge of the uh, acid-based yeah. bananas. Another very practical job. Yeah. <laughs> Making sure people eat the acid bananas before they go brown. Getting them right in that sweet spot. Yes. White acid bananas. Yummy. Very good. You'll have a wonderful trip. <laughs> and get mm. some potassium. That's a How big wonderful. that's a big job. Because yeah, a lot of yeah. people half a million bananas to check. I assume there's one banana for every attendee. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's part of the ticket price, which a lot of people didn't even pay. So there you go. You get a banana. I told you they lost a lot of money, mainly through bananas. 
one a day or you just get one banana? Make it last. Yeah, make it last. Oh, okay. It's a big one. It's really big. Banana. It's really big. Oh, all right like, then. Oh, okay. Like the biggest one you've oh, ever wow. seen. And fill Like you couldn't, you, fill with you acid. probably couldn't get through it in one go. No, like good, you, yeah, good luck getting through a, a, an acid banana in one go. Come on, mate. Come on. You just made yeah, it for yourself, right. yeah, Jeff. <laughs> what am I thinking? Well, I know. I feel foolish. Like, can we edit that out, please? I don't want to, I don't want to look a fool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks, David, from Fiji. How freaking cool. Is that our first patron supporter from Fiji? Yeah, might be. Yeah. Love it. Um, now from a little bit closer at home from Carlton here in a Victoria. A little bit closer to home. <laughs> hey, a little bit. Uh, Ebony at Marja. Oh, Ebony. I met Ebony in um, uh, oh. Samui. Oh, cool. Awesome. Came along. Yeah. Bloody awesome. Well, thanks for supporting the show, uh, Ebony and Matt. What is Ebony in charge of at the Woodstock 1960? Oh, well, being from Carlton, obviously, Ebony will be in charge of the coffee and making sure that the coffee oh. quality is right. Is it Jess Perkins levels? Oh, Ebony, you'll be seeing a lot of me. Are you interested in coming to the festival now you've heard that? If there's coffee? Yeah. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be a bit more keen. Yeah, I thought so. If I knew there were food trucks and stuff, I fucking love food coffee, trucks. Coffee quality love checked it. by a Carlton local. Yeah. She doesn't have to make it or anything. She just know? has to go around and have that. a sip out of everyone's coffee. <laughs> and go, yep. okay, yeah, that one's all right. That one. Ooh, and she just this one's tips a bit it out. burnt. You should take that back. Yeah. <laughs> go get another one. You should yeah. go get them to do you another one. Yeah. That's no good. Don't accept yeah. terrible coffee. So it says on her T-shirt. <laughs> She's got a clipboard as well. <laughs> love that. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's got a clipboard. All these jobs have clipboards. Of course. Uh, I would also like to thank, so thanks, Ebony. I'd also like to thank, now we know this guy, from Kinross, Western Australia, the Simpsons uh, expert of the show, Jacob Lane. Jacob Lane. Jacob Lane. I mean, thank you. we know what his strengths are. Do we play to those? Well, I think that may, maybe if we are playing to the strengths, like, his job is to, uh, he's actually Wavy Gravy's <laughs> assistant, making sure that no one is smoking harmless okay. tobacco. So he's a reverse burn. Also, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's also got a Great. clipboard. Oh, Jacob, hopefully you can pull that off. Uh, assistant to Wavy Gravy. As far as I know, it, yeah, wavy, wavy Gravy looks like Mr. Burns with a wig. <laughs> And then he, yes. and he has that puffer vest that he just pops and then it turns into a life, yes. life vest and he just jumps in and swims away. <laughs> so good. <laughs> is that you done, Dave? Is it my turn? Yeah, so, so thank you. Those are the three people I'd like to thank, David, Ebony and Jacob. And I thanked Alec, Brian and Albert. Yeah, great. Bringing it home, I would love to thank uh, from uh, the ACT in uh, Yarralumla. The clowns of Capitol Hill up there. <laughs> I'd love to thank Kristen Barrett. Thanks, Kristen. Kristen Barrett from the ACT, Jess. What what kind of skills would she have up there? Kristen is actually running an arts and crafts stall. Oh, nice. So you can go and you can make your own flower crown to wear or just do some colouring in. Um, you can do nude painting if you want to. As in nude? paint someone <clears throat> okay. nude or, or you can be nude, whatever. You can paint with your nipples. Um, but, yeah, she's running a, running a really lovely, um, inclusive and welcoming <laughs> Matt's... Um, art, arts yes, and craft. Yes, ACT. Which is, is doing really well. Arts and craft. <laughs> she's done it. She's Was done that on purpose? <laughs> yes. Your face says otherwise. <laughs> yes, I did that. Yes. You're that good. I'm that good. I make amazing jokes subconsciously. Um, thank you so much, Kristen. Uh, I'd also love to thank, again from the ACT, my goodness, 
from this time from Mikella. Love to thank Alex Palmer. Oh, Alex. Uh, Alex is actually in charge of the skinny dipping pond. Alex is the, oh, the lifeguard. In charge of it. Oh, lifeguard, okay. but also in charge of making sure that no one's skinny dipping in disgusting clothes. <laughs> yeah, get them out. Said, oi, I can see you've got a little G-string on. Don't think I can't see it because it's flesh-coloured. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't born yesterday, it, mate. Take it <laughs> off. I work on less experienced <laughs> lifeguards slash skinny-dipping supervisors. All these, all these guys are volunteering and working, but uh, at the end of the day they are also play in a super group that I think we should name at the end as well. <laughs> okay. okay, yeah, great. <laughs> so I think we've got one more to... Uh, one more to thank here. Alex Palmer doing God's work there, making sure everyone's nude. <laughs> what a- Amazing. <laughs> and finally, from Gulfport, MS, Mississippi. Mississippi. Gulfport, Mississippi. I'd love to thank Travis, Travis Alexander. Travis Alexander, the lover of big monsters. Oh, that's yes. right, the kanji. Kaiju. No, kaiju. Uh, what's, kaiju. How can we work um, kaiju into a Woodstock job? Well, I mean, every festival's got to have someone who's like, on the non-existent gate, making sure Godzilla right. doesn't come and yes. attack the festival. He's keeping Godzilla out. Yeah, he's keeping. Yeah, he's keeping Godzilla okay. at bay. And by all reports, Godzilla can Godzilla can stand in a in a nearby field and listen. <laughs> but I'm sorry, mate, it's just a yeah. bit risky if you come in. What, what, okay, really, it's no Godzillas. You can. Yeah. We've got one. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, only one kaiju. No kaiju. First in best dress. Yeah. Well, no so we've got an area for a, all. If Godzilla's in, it's uh, sorry, Mothra, you're over there. Yeah, Mothra, Mothra's <laughs> out. trying to fly in. No, Mothman obviously is in, allowed in the VIP overhead. section side of stage. Oh yeah, it's a confusing system. Travis will explain it to you in the lead up. <laughs> all right, so we've got uh, Travis, Alex, Kristen, Jacob, Ebony, David. Uh, Alec, Brian, and Albert. What's their band called, Jess? What's one of these 1969s kind of silly? Maybe we'll do two words each. Yeah, great. Okay. Okay. The first one's the, the last one's band. We can play in the middle. Okay, yep. Okay. Okay. The Dirty Funk. Acid Orchestra. Felching Pond. Band. Band. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds a bit too well. Wow, I reckon. I love it. <laughs> I reckon they're going to be a hit. Uh, with no yeah. inductees into the Trip Ditch Club this week, that means we've got uh, no more Patreon business to do. Fantastic. Well, if you want to get involved, you want to get the bonus episodes, we're putting out three a month these days. Access to our pre sales for our live streams and discounts, all that sort of stuff. Get in the Facebook group. A lot of fun things to get involved with. Just go to patreon.com slash do go on And we're working on a new website at the moment, so hopefully we'll have that to unveil to you all before too long. It'll be at the same address. Yeah. (laughs) A little sneak peek there. Yeah, Yeah, you might have to memorise a different website. Uh, Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I do love people who listen to the the sealed section at the end even more than the, uh, the others, but, you know, there's no pressure as well. If you've listened through to it and you're like, this bit at the end goes too long. There is no pressure. Next time around, feel free to stop at any point. I love you all the same. And if you're doing it just for my love, I mean, I love you even more, okay? That's a vicious cycle (laughs) or a friendly cycle. Uh, Jess, as it is your birthday, happy birthday to you. Welcome uh, to the post-30s club. Now... Mm. uh, I think it should be your honour to uh, boot this baby home this week. Okay, great. 
Um, uh, how does Dave do this? <laughs> Dave, give me, what do you usually say? I don't know. Because I feel like we've done like the plugs and shit. Yeah, you know? but like I don't know, an old person like you just doesn't get it anymore. So it's going to be I'm hard not, to explain. Hey, I'm still young and cool. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, Make sure you uh, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on all the social medias at DoGoOnPod. You can email us at DoGoOnPod at gmail.com. But that's it for today. And until next week, I will say goodbye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.